if you haven't heard already, you need to check out adfreeshows.com. We've started making announcements for a brand new schedule starting in November, including a ton of new content. First of all, all of our podcasts are going to have video and we're going to splice in some fun stuff. And I'm sure the shows will get better as they go. But a lot of times we have a, well, fairly heated or hilarious interaction. And you guys have said you wanted to see my co-host facials and how they uh, get tickled or fired up, whatever the case may be. It's coming to adfreeshows.com, but a ton of new content too. For instance, one of the things we just announced this past weekend I'm so excited about is our championship belt series. We're going to go talk to the folks who made these belts, who actually originally designed the art and crafted them. They're going to explain exactly what that process was like. We'll discuss briefly who ordered it, what we thought it cost to order, how long it would have taken, et cetera, et cetera, the whole manufacturing process. But then you get some beautiful 4K shots of the actual ring used belts after the fact. Of course, in between, we're going to show you all the great memories and moments that happened. You'll see lots of press clippings and magazine covers, and promo shots, just the story of those iconic championships. It's all coming to adfreeshows.com. I've also started a show part of my collection, including old boots and robes and things like that. And something we're calling the collection, some fun comedy stuff that I think you're going to dig, including Mance Splaining, great friend of the show and independent wrestling superstar, Mance Warner is going to try to explain illogical wrestling to our wives. That's right. Many of us have a wife in our life who is, uh, well, a non fan and we're going to have <laughs> Mance Warner try to make sense out of things like Katie Vick or the chamber of horrors or the kennel in a cell. It's going to be stupid and fun, and it's all happening at adfreeshows.com. Lots of new storytellers coming along the way as well. We're doing a Monday mailbag feature with veterans of the game, like Jerry Briscoe. Mike they were there for the good, the bad, and the ugly of the World Wrestling Federation. And, of course, Jerry was a wrestler himself and had ownership in Florida and Georgia. And now you get to pick their brain every single week at adfreeshows.com. One of my favorite shows I'm looking forward to, well, it's Dr. Tom's X-Ray. Maybe you have a favorite match, but why was it your favorite match? We're going to watch those old matches with him, and he's going to break it down, almost like John Gruden did his quarterback camp on ESPN for so many years. Well, this is the wrestling equivalent of that. We've even got a happy hour happening every Sunday night. You either get to chat with Medusa or Rebel live on Zoom, pick their brain, talk about wrestling, talk about life, have a little fun. Of course, we've got comedians along the way to make sure that we're entertaining you. There's so much great stuff coming your way, including brand new opportunities on how you can win lots of prizes. We're doing fun games like mystery opponent or caption it or name that theme parts unknown, the time limit draw in this quarter, create a gimmick. We're going to be giving away cool prizes every single day over at adfreeshows.com, including once in a lifetime experiences. We're going to line it up where you get a chance. That's right. You get a chance to go to breakfast with Tony and JR and then attend an AEW event in person. It's going to be a once in a lifetime experience. You want to talk about experiences. We've got a Saturday morning cartoon thing coming your way. That's going to knock your socks off. We've also got wrestling comedy theater with friend of the show, Cassio kid Did I mention we're getting a hotline. Yeah. There's going to be a hotline coming soon. Some new columns will be there too. We've even got a cooking show that we're excited to tell you about called the getting heat cooking show. Of course you get all of the great ask series. I think I just finished ask Conrad volume 16 get to pick our brain about literally whatever you want but the big announcement that's coming soon it's our conversation series i don't want to give you a spoiler just yet 
but this is what you've been waiting for. It's going to be so much fun. We haven't even announced it all yet. There is so much great stuff happening over at adfreeshows.com. If you haven't already, check it out and be sure to tune in this Friday. We're doing an exclusive Zoom. It's Hallow's Eve Havoc. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Myself, Tony Schiavone, of course, Eric Bischoff, and more all there chatting with you live and in costume. Yes, we're really doing it. It's Hallow's Eve Havoc, and it's happening at adfreeshows.com. I hope you'll check it out. You get all of our shows and our archives early and ad-free, but there's so much new exclusive content, it's worth another look. Go check out our reviews right now at isadfreeforme.com. We've even been told this is the best value in wrestling. Find out what everybody's talking about and come join in on the fun today. Join us for Hallow's Eve Havoc at adfreeshows.com. Okay, stop what you're doing. Listen very, very carefully. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. Oh, she's beautiful, classy. She's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People just can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. And she's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring, and it takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye-flawless, near-colorless, high-quality, round, brilliant-cut diamond, expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista's available. She's ready for love, and she's ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one-carat round brilliant diamond is only $3,198. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus, free shipping, and get this, 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only, or you can go to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista Ready for Love engagement ring. Steven Singer Jewelers. Real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you? Brother, I am doing so well. What a great way to start a Sunday morning. As I told you uh, a little earlier today, I was running a little bit behind for no good reason, other than just being lackadaisical about my Sunday morning. But I, I jumped on the Impact Plus app to review this show for today. And my God, what a great pay-per-view this was. Unbelievable. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny or anything. I mean, this was, I am so excited to cover this show. This was, for me personally, just based on the things that I like, it's completely subjective. I understand that. Um, this was one of the best shows that I've sat down and watched in order to, to prepare for one of our podcasts in a long, long time. God, it was good. 
Where'd you go? I mean, that can't be real, right? What's that? I mean, the readers of the wrestling observer gave this zero, zero point zero percent thumbs up. In fact, they gave it zero, zero point zero percent thumbs in the middle. It turns out they gave it one, zero, zero decimal zero. That's right. 100% thumbs down. You liked it. I didn't like it. I fucking loved it. And it only goes to, to illustrate a point and something that I've been saying for decades now, whenever the wrestling observer or Dave Meltzer in particular would bury something, I always knew deep down inside I was on the right track. And, and this is a perfect example of that. I mean, this pay-per-view would stand up today in any company. And it's hard to, you know, look, 10 years is a long time. We're going back to 2010 here for turning point uh, in TNA 2010. And when you can look at an entire pay-per-view and almost not every, but almost every match on this pay-per-view would hold up today in any company that's currently producing television. It's, I thought it was amazing. I, I was so excited about it. I still am. Well, that's what makes this show fun. You know, we get to go back and look at something with a set of fresh eyes and we get the benefit of hindsight. And of course, today we're talking about TNA turning point 2010. I guess we probably should have said that before we got into it, but it's November 7th, 2010 at the infamous impact zone in Orlando, Florida. It is the seventh event under the turning point chronology. We've got about 1100 folks who are here live and the pay-per-view buys are being reported between eight and 15,000 folks. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I mean, I, I did a, I, I did a little tease for all Hallow's Eve havoc, which by the way, was a hell of a journey. Um, last week that got over 15,000 views. Yeah on, on social media. And I I'm, I'm going to hope for the sake of those who subscribed and believed in everything that the wrestling observer had to say. And, and just for those people who may not have been involved watching wrestling at the time, or may not have been a fan of TNA, go back to the impact plus, not the impact plus as I spelled incorrectly on my tweet as I was watching the show. But go back and and check this out because it deserves everybody's support. Check it out. If you don't agree with me, tell me why. I would like to know why anybody would consider this to be anything other than a great pay-per-view. And I say that not as a cocky, smarmy, arrogant, trying to be entertaining kind of guy because that's what I do, right? But I mean this sincerely, please go back, watch this show and tell me why specifically, why you think that this doesn't deserve to be one of the top 10 pay-per-views of the last decade, because it was that good. And look, there were things that were lacking and we'll talk about all of this stuff in more detail. I'm sure as we go, 
to this day, it, it, it probably is the core of some of my frustration whenever I engage in a conversation about TNA. The, the core of that frustration is essentially missed opportunity. Yeah. And I think th this show, more than anything that I've watched so far as, as we've covered TNA, probably exemplifies that feeling more than anything else I could say. This show was so freaking good on so many different levels. Some of them may not be obvious to a casual viewer or somebody that's never produced a show. And maybe as we go through this and I point some of these things out, people will go back and they'll look at it from a different perspective. And I hope they do. But man, this was good. This was so good on so many different levels. And before we get going, I wanted to put a bug in your ear. Uh, there's a lot of hysteria about what might or might not happen this week. And that could negatively affect interest rates in a major way. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying it's very uncertain. We're living in very uncertain times. How many times have we heard that this year? If you've been on the fence about buying a house or refinancing, I cannot stress this enough. You need to lock your rate by the end of the day tomorrow. Now I'm not saying rates are going to go through the roof. I'm not saying the credit markets are going to collapse. I don't know what's going to happen, but that's the thing. Nobody really does. I would rather be safe than sorry and lock you in at the best rate you ever had on your mortgage right now before it's too late. So if you haven't already run over to savewithconrad.com, get yourself a quick quote today. Think about it overnight, but be sure to lock your rate before the end of tomorrow. It could be the last chance to take advantage of these great rates at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? If you haven't already, you don't have to make your November or your December house payment. You're done until next year. That extra cash will probably come in handy right here during the holidays. Oh, and did I mention we're licensed in more than 40 states? You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but you need to hurry. You don't know what the rates will look like Wednesday, but we've still got them right now at SaveWithConrad.com. I feel like we should give, um, I feel like we should give some sort of context for how bad business is here in 2010, you know, around this era. So this is before the network fatal four way got 88,000 buys for WWE the next year, capital punishment, 2011 got 85,000 buys, uh, a couple of years later, TLC 2012 also pre-network. 75,000 buys. And I guess the worst that everybody remembers, you already know where I'm going. December to dismember back in 06 did 52,000 buys. But when you see a show that I didn't think was all that great, but you thought was fantastic does between eight and 15,000 buys. It's just, it's a real head scratcher that this is a fraction of the worst we'd ever seen, but there's so much talent on the show. And as a reminder, we're fresh off of, um, the, the, I guess the, the TNA answer for WrestleMania bound for glory where Bischoff Hogan and Hardy all turned heel and revealed the group, including Jarrett, where, uh, abyss had been talking about, they, uh, that that had been going on since June 
and on the October 14th edition of impact, the group adopted the name immortal after a promo from the new TNA world heavyweight champion, Jeff Hardy, where he stated, we are immortal and we will live forever. And of course, Hogan starts using the Hollywood moniker. There's a lot going on here, but creatively, I just wanted to add the context that pay-per-view and wrestling may be dying off a little bit, even for the WWE in this era, 10, 11, 12. And of course we know they changed the game with the network and it's a whole new ball game. I don't know. It just, it caught my attention in a major way, Eric, eight to 15,000 buys. My goodness. Well, and, and I think going back to what I said earlier, a comment I made a few moments ago about missed opportunities, you know, obviously this is 2010, you know, there was no excuse not to have an event like this in front of a legitimate crowd. And I know that sounds like a criticism of the crowd and I don't mean it to be, but look, a lot of those people, you know, came in, you know, for this pay-per-view same people that came in every week for TNA because it was free and it was local and they could be a part of the show because it was so, I'm going to use the word intimate, um, as opposed to low budget, you know, you, you have an audience there and this crowd was lit by the way, they were, they were hot for what was going on for a lot of the show, which is another reason that, you know, the, the, the critique or the, the rating, if you will, from wrestling observer fans makes me laugh because if you look at this crowd and the reaction and the emotion, people, those of you who are listening to this, try to remember that when talent steps into the ring, your favorite performer step into the ring, their job is to create emotion. Their job is not to go out there and try to convince the world that they're the great, that they are the greatest, you know, athlete or that they're, what is that sport? Or I don't even know if it's really a sport where people do, you'll see them out on the street and they're flying around. They're jumping over curbs. Oh, parkour walls. Parkour. Yeah. I mean, wrestling has become almost a version of parkour in, in today's environment, but it, that that's cool to watch and it makes you go, wow, that's really cool. I wish I could do that, but it doesn't create emotion. It's just, it's an exposition of athletic skills and abilities and that's cool, but it doesn't create emotion. And when you go back and I encourage you one last time, please go back and watch this on the impact plus app. And no, we don't get a nickel by the way. We get no no plugs. I've never even gotten a fucking thank you from anybody over at impact, which is fine. I don't care to see one. It doesn't matter to me, but it's just, I'm just making a point in that we're not being, we're, shilling. we're not shilling. I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'm not putting them over because I hope to get something out of it Correct. or I am getting something out of it. We aren't not a nickel, not a dime, not even a thank you. I'm just saying this, I'm being as objective as I can be here. This show has so much, not only great physical exposition, but great storytelling, great psychology and the emotion. All you have to do, if you don't believe me, when you watch it back is watch how the crowd is reacting and you tell me again, watch it and you tell me and be as honest with yourself as you can. I know it's hard for most people, but 
go back and watch it and you tell me when the last time you saw that much emotion created by the storytelling and the physical exposition that was going on inside of the ring. I just thought it was fucking fantastic. Well, let's get into it before we do. We should, um, at least talk a little bit about this whole immortal concept. Can you listen? I know you weren't always involved in the entire creative process for TNA in this era, but you did have a hand in all the Hogan stuff. Can you tell us about the decision for Hulk to return to his Hollywood persona here? Is this his idea? Your idea just filled the right time. You know, Hulk was really instrumental in, in bringing in Ric Flair. Hulk was very instrumental in bringing back Jeff Hardy. Those who haven't followed TNA's history may forget or may not even be aware that TNA or that Jeff Hardy, I think, had spent a little bit of time in TNA previously. This wasn't his first go round. Um, but it was really Hulk who petitioned very hard to bring in Ric Flair. And it was also Hulk who was feeling that. You know, rather than that red and yellow, you know, baby face version of the 80s Hulk Hogan or the early 90s Hulk Hogan, he felt that he would have more impact, no pun intended, as a derivative, if you will, of the, the NWO Hollywood type character. So that was really Hulk's idea, as well as the idea of creating this faction uh, called Immortal. Um, Hulk was a huge, huge fan of Jeff Hardy. And in fact, when Hulk and I first started talking about going into TNA and actually signing with them, it was one of the first things that, that Hulk started talking about was, man, we got to get Jeff Hardy back. We got to get Jeff Hardy back. We got to get Jeff Hardy back. And, and a close second to that was Ric Flair. Uh, so yeah, Hulk had a tremendous amount of influence over this. And yeah, while I wasn't necessarily by this time I was starting to kind of get my fingers in the creative pie quite a bit because so much of what we were doing affected Hulk Hogan's storyline. And this is a perfect example. You know, it, it would be one thing if my job would have been, okay, whenever there's Hulk Hogan versus fill in the blank, Eric Bischoff is in charge of that storyline and that, you know, initially going in, that was kind of the thinking but so many of the stories involved Hulk Hogan, even indirectly, that it quickly became necessary to have my fingers in the pie, if you will, of a lot of the other stories that were either going to build towards a Hulk Hogan type of, of, of a conflict or in, indeed were directly involved with Hulk Hogan. So yeah, my fingers at this point in 2010 were a little bit more than just Hulk Hogan. In addition to format pacing, um, some of the production that we'll talk about later on, which I was really excited to see. I forgot how much difference it made in, in the product overall. Um, uh, so yeah, I was a lot more involved, but it was really Hulk Hogan who was kind of the impetus behind the immortal concept. Well, there's a lot of Hulk Hogan news to get to, but before we talk about that, let's at least remind you the storyline here is that Bischoff has revealed this has all been an elaborate plan to take complete control of the company. Uh, he suggests that he tricked Dixie Carter into signing over the company to him and Hogan a week earlier when Dixie thought she was signing the paperwork to fire Abyss. Also that night, Immortal formed an alliance with Ric Flair's fortune and going into tonight's show, the heel groups would do battle with EV2, which is the old ECW originals. 
So that sort of catches you up. Let's talk about the news and notes heading into this though. But my goodness, there's a lot to unpack and some of it is going to get you hot right up front. Meltzer would write Hulk Hogan 57 is getting married imminently to girlfriend, Jennifer McDaniel, 36. Hogan said this past week, they just completed a prenuptial agreement as a prelude to getting married. You've met Jennifer. Uh, what can you tell us about Hulk's new lady? Jennifer, um, when I first met her was, how do I say this without it sounding? Because I by no means intended to sound like I'm casting an aspersion, but she was, she was a small town girl. She was shy. She had never, ever, ever been anywhere near celebrity or the hoopla and the chaos that comes with it. Now you add to that, you know, Hulk Hogan, who at that point, you know, was one of the more controversial celebrities in the world of professional wrestling. And it, I, I think dating Hulk, you know, when they first started going on, I met, I, you know, I met Jennifer early on in their relationship. In fact, shortly after they first met, uh, that was a period of time when I was spending a lot of time down in Florida because quite honestly, Hulk was having some issues and struggling and, and needed some support and needed to be with a friend. And I had been living down in Clearwater or Tampa, I should say, Clearwater beach. Uh, actually Hulk had a, a condominium on the beach, uh, a nice big condominium, by the way, that he moved into shortly after he and Linda were splitting up or split up. And I, I, I lived in that condo for, I don't know, six months or so maybe. And I'd come back to Arizona where I had a home at the time. And, you know, I'd come back once a week or once every 10 days or Lori would fly down, you know, and stay with me for a, a while so that we could maintain our own relationship. But I was spending a lot of time down there. And, uh, you know, when I first met Jennifer, it was like, wow, this is different because she's so exactly opposite of what people think of Hulk Hogan. Um, Hulk is a very quiet guy, believe it or not. Hulk is a guy who just loves to spend time alone on the beach. In fact, Hulk used to tell me all the time, what do you mean when I first met him? You know, when we first started working together, because man, this money, the fame, all this stuff is great. But to be honest with you, I could be just as happy living in the back of a van on the beach. And he meant it. And he would still tell you that today if you ever sat down and get to know him while he appreciates the money and all the things that came with it or comes with it. Um, deep down inside, man, he's just a beach bomb. He's a beach bomb hippie. And, and he, he probably finds more peace and joy just hanging out on the beach with his chihuahuas than he does being in the limelight. That's the real Hulk Hogan or the real Terry Balea, I should say. Um, but you know, this Hulk Hogan character is the machine that provided so much material comfort and security for his family that, you know, that, that became his identity and in his world so much of, uh, of the time. But deep down inside, this is a guy that if he had a pair of flip-flops and board shorts, good pair of sunglasses and a straw hat, and maybe a six pack or 12 pack of Miller Lite would be just as happy as he is walking the red carpet in Hollywood. And, and Jennifer was probably more akin to the real Terry Balea and kind of a low key personality. So it was a really interesting 
thing, watching those two come together. But I think one of the reasons that they became so close so quickly is because Jennifer is a very grounded person deep down inside. Now she, you know, she got thrust into the limelight. She got thrust into, you know, a multi, 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 multi million dollar lifestyle and all the things that come with that. And, you know, she, she adapted to that and probably over adapted in some, some ways and, and enjoyed it like anybody would that, you know, in Jennifer's case, I think she lived in a one bedroom apartment, was driving a 10 year old Chevy Vega or whatever it was, and probably didn't have two nickels rubbed together. And it was plucked from, she, she was a, 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 a waitress in, in, in a small restaurant in Clearwater beach. And then all of a sudden to get plucked and thrust into this crazy lifestyle and chaotic lifestyle that was, you know, Hulk Hogan at that time, very chaotic and, and stressful. Um, but at, at, at the core of it, at the, at the very foundation of their relationship, she was a very grounded person and a very simple person like the real Terry Bollea. And I think that's one of the reasons that they, they got along so well is because, you know, Terry didn't look at her. And, and when I delineate between Hulk Hogan, the character and Terry Bollea, the person, I only do so to try to impart upon the people that are listening to this, that the real person is so much different than the character in, in the perception that people have of Hulk Hogan. The real person is one of the sweetest, gentlest, most generous people you'll ever meet in your life. Hulk Hogan wouldn't, excuse me, Terry Bollea wouldn't swat a fly if it wasn't absolutely necessary, he's just, he doesn't like conflict. He doesn't like chaos. He doesn't like all of the things that come with the business of being Hulk Hogan. He deals with it because that's what he does or did more, more, more appropriately back then for a living. But the real guy is as simple and down to earth as anybody you'll ever meet. And that's what Jennifer was. And I think that's what attracted them to each other. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late to find yourself at a railway crossing, waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever to the naked eye. Trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are. They can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop over a mile to stop by that time. It's too late. And the result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The trains can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it ends in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way and you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. Ah, thank you for that download. Ah, now time to get pissed off. Are you ready? I, you know, I don't mean to do this, but I feel like I have to. Well, well, no, we have to, because we owe it to our listeners, right? There are, there are contrasting opinions and points of view and, and, and a lot of lies that we have to confront when we do this show. That's what makes doing this show cathartic for me. And, and also I feel it's a mission 
because I have the responsibility because you've given me this platform to expose the other side of the story. Well, it's hard to expose my side of the story or my perspective of, of that story without contrasting it with the fucking absolute nonsense and bullshit and self-aggrandizing crap that has been written but let's do it. I'm going to do my best because I'm in such a good mood. Mm. You know, we did the mean tweets thing. Oh, yeah. Day, that was fun, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. Was it fun for you? It was fun for me, and I got great, incredible feedback online. People over at Ad Free Shows are digging you firing off on mean tweets. I guess we should smarten everybody up here. Uh, one of our more popular things that we do, one of our more popular shows on adfreeshows.com. That's what we call Eric fires back where I play him clips of old shoot interviews and whatnot, where his, uh, wrestling brother and take turns, taking a dump on him. And then he fires up and it's been wildly entertaining. And so then I came up with the idea. Let's just rip off Jimmy Kimmel's, uh, mean tweets where we have celebrities read the mean tweets. Uh, and we did a little video show where I read, I find some mean tweets. I read them to you and then you react and it's uh, it was fun for me and I think uh, we got good feedback, but maybe not so fun for you. Well, I don't know, you know, fun. It's hard to describe it as fun, um, for me. And, and here's my struggle. You know, this is my personal journey. This is what I wake up. Well, I go to bed every night hoping that I wake up a better person the following morning. And I, and I thank God for every morning I get to wake up, I open my eyes, I get to take a breath. I live in a beautiful home in a beautiful part of the country. I've got a beautiful wife and a great dog and I have two healthy, happy, successful, productive children who I'm very proud of. And by the way, one of which we're going to get a look at on the show today. Um, and I'm so grateful for all of that, but I know that, you know, on my personal journey, I have to improve as a human being. We all do. We all should at least recognize that some of us don't, but we all should. And, and part of that journey for me is not being negative, not being angry, not having a temper, you know, being able to manage my own emotions. You know, I talk about emotions a lot and, and managing them. Um, and, and I try so hard. I try, I really, really, try <laughs> but when we do things like mean tweets or eric fires back or you know you remind me of the diarrhea that is constantly coming from the sewage pipe of the wrestling observer oh. it sometimes is a challenge for me and whenever i fail to meet that challenge and allow my emotions to take over, I, I'm reminded that I've got a long way to go. So maybe it's like working out, you know, maybe when you, when we do these things like mean tweets or Eric fires back, maybe that's, you know, the universe's way of making me a stronger person and challenging me not to get upset. But I have to admit I fail. I often fail. And I will endeavor this morning because I started out in such a great mood because of what I watched just a little while ago. Fresh, literally. I just put down my iPad 17 minutes ago 
before getting on this this uh, this podcast with you. So I'm going to do my best not to lose my shit. <clears throat> this is directly from the Observer. Hogan this past week tweeted a topless photo of a woman. He only showed her boobs, no face for positive identification. That led to speculation. The implants were either his fiance's or his daughter's. I would so hope that they weren't his daughter's. Nobody would know the difference because if they didn't hang out together so much, you'd think they were the same person. Apparently he didn't mean to do it because he quickly took it down. Is that a question or how am I supposed to respond to that? No, we, Sorry. we can keep it moving. If you want, I just was sharing a passage where your old pal Hulk Hogan made the observer and it. I don't know that piece of writing stuck out to me. Well, you know, here's the, <laughs> I don't you know, Honestly, I don't remember that. I don't even know if I ever saw it. Um, but how many of us now, not you Conrad, cause you're, you, you're, you know, you're in the mortgage business. You're, you're, you're in a, you've got a lot of employees. You've got a lot of responsibility and you've probably, you, you probably smartened up a long time ago about tweeting and posting and all that kind of thing. But we're going back 10 years now when Twitter right. was fairly new. I'd only been on Twitter for about six or eight months by this point. Now I know personally I've, accidentally shared some things. Now, nothing like that. You know, I've never, I don't take pictures of anybody yeah. naked or anything like that or myself or anything. So n- not that anybody would certainly, no one would want to see that, but it's just not my thing. You know, I, I've, I don't know, but for someone who is new to, t- by the way, I had to, I, I actually, set up Hulk Hogan's first email for him. It was going back to about this time when I was living with him down in Florida briefly. Wait, he didn't have an email address back then? No, he didn't have an email address. And this was, you know, this was at a point where every, you know, people used to do things, even when email was available, they would still, you know, fax was still kind of a thing, right? You could either do email or fax. And then eventually faxes became less and less a part of the day-to-day, you know, business routine of most people and everything became email. Well, Hulk didn't have an email. And I, at that time I was handling a lot of his business, you know, his trademark business and things like that. And there were opportunities, even at this point, still coming in the door. And I would say, Hulk, you know, take a look at this. I'm going to email it to you. Cause well, I don't have an email. You don't have an email. No, man, I've never had an email. Can't they just call me? <laughs> well, some of the stuff you need to be able to read. So I, I, I went down, I set up his email. I actually got him his first iPhone. He, he, he didn't, he, he had never used an I, he had a flip phone, like the old school, you know, the kind you'd put in your fanny pack. <laughs> it had a little antenna on it. And I, I actually got him a smartphone and had to set it up for him and show him how to use it. I set up his website for him. Because all of this was like brand new to him right? at that point. And now, you know me, Conrad. You know how much of a high-tech redneck I still am to this day. Absolutely. It's really hard for me to adapt to, you know, new technology or new formats and technology and things like that. I have to really – and it's not because I'm stupid. I mean, I used to fly an airplane. I had an instrument rating, which is one of the highest or most challenging ratings you could get as a private pilot. 
I, you know, I've done a lot of things that require a fair amount of intellect and understanding, but technology is just one of those things that's hard for me. I, I don't know why. It's just it's a challenge. So you can imagine where Hulk Hogan or Terry Bollea was in the evolution of tech, personal technology at this point when he was relying on me to help him. And this was 10 years ago. Now, add to that, the mucker father has thumbs the size of canned hams. So when you're playing, you know, when you and I are on our iPhone and you're a big dude, you know, you, so you can probably relate to this. When you've got a hand, when you shake Hulk Hogan's hand, it's like, you know, slamming your hand in a refrigerator door. It's a big motherfucking hand. And his thumbs are huge. They're like canned hams. So now you got Hulk Hogan. He's playing around on his iPhone and his Twitter, and which was all new to him. He didn't understand how it worked. I didn't understand well enough how it worked to even explain it to him. It was new to me too. So I can see how something like that may have happened. I can assure, you know, any closet perverts that are out there, you know, that it was not his daughter. I, I, I know you may be living vicariously through that thought because of your own weaknesses and flaws. And that's the conclusion that most people who have those innate perversions would probably immediately gravitate to because it's their nature deep down inside. And they probably assume most people are just like them. Right. But I can assure you that that was not the case. Let's, uh, let's move along. Eric Young's contract is going to expire at the end of the month. As part of the cutbacks, he's offered a new deal, which isn't as good as his previous deal. And, uh, Meltzer says this deal doesn't guarantee him dates or guarantee him money. And he doesn't want to sign the deal. And so at least for now he's gone. And Meltzer would say that surprised a lot of people since he's been with the company from the Nashville days. And when there were rumors of him leaving with the contract running out, we were told there was no way because everyone loved him and they're high on the new gimmick. The problem is money is being cut back on. And most of the new deals, at least for non top guys are being restructured. Rhino was given a similar change, but based on storyline, it appears he accepted the deal. Do you remember hearing that? Hey, uh, we can't offer Eric the same deal and he may be out of here. And what did you think of that? You know, I didn't hear that. I, I stayed as far away from those conversations as I possibly could. One of the things that I, I knew going into TNA, I knew what, what some of the risk would be. Probably most of the risk would be based on the perception of me in, in WCW. So I, I made it, you know, we've, we've covered this. I won't beat it to death, but I made it abundantly clear to everybody. I wanted nothing to do with hiring or firing talent or their money, their schedule. I wanted nothing to do with that. So those conversations took place in TNA executive offices, and I was never a part of any of those conversations. In fact, I avoided them so much that I remember, you know, Dixie Carter set up a conference call with her mother, Janice, who was really controlling the money. That's a fact. Dixie, you know, the perception was that Dixie was calling the shots. The reality was completely opposite. It was Janice Carter, not even Bob Carter, Janice Carter, who was calling the shots when it came to money. So Dixie had set up a conference call and asked me to be a part of it. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just, I don't even want to be on the call. I don't even want to listen to it. 
not only do I not want to participate in it or give an opinion about anything, I don't even want to hear it. And that got me a lot of heat with Janice Carter, a lot. I was, yeah, I was persona non grata in the Carter family as a result of that move. But I, and I knew it, I knew what would happen if I did it. And it was a calculated decision on my part, but I figured the heat that I may get from the Carter family would be less significant than the problems that would be caused if all of a sudden somebody thought that Eric Bischoff was coming in and calling financial shots. So no, that, that situation was never, I was never aware of it. I was a, not a participant in it. I think I, you know, obviously I may have heard indirectly that, you know, obviously I would have heard that, you know, Eric Young was no longer with the company, but the details that led up to that were something that were completely alien to me. Okay. Stop what you're doing. Listen very, very carefully. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. Oh, she's beautiful, classy, she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People just can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. And she's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring, and it takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye-flawless, near-colorless, high-quality, round, brilliant-cut diamond, expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love, and she's ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one-carat round brilliant diamond is only $3,198. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus, free shipping, and get this, 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only, or you can go to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista Ready for Love engagement ring. Steven Singer Jewelers. Real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. And by the way, Meltzer is going to report the same thing you just told us. That all these changes are related to a move where Janice Carter is now in charge of additional funding. Well, basically money is tight right now because they got out of control earlier this year, spending big money on new contracts for people who, who, as it turned out, didn't increase revenue enough to cover them. It was also canceled house shows on the 19th and 20th of November in Evansville and Indianapolis due to poor advances in both cities. And they say business is terrible ever since bound for glory. And Meltzer writes, you may want to chalk that one down to lessons about wrestling business that nobody will remember and thus will likely repeat and have no idea why the results are what they are. What does that mean? Can you make any sense out of that dribble? I, I think the idea is, you know, people are oblivious to their mistakes because they're listen, and you know, this is true. There's a lot of. Uh, hopeful optimistics and in wrestling. And, you know, we hear, we even saw that in podcasting, Felt like for a while there, every time Dick and Harry from the professional wrestling business decided they wanted a podcast and some of those made it and some of those didn't. And I think, you know, that's sort of like 
wrestling promotions, right? Uh, no, but, it, but, but it's like, yes, in general, and I would agree with that in general, but I think Dave was being more specific or nuanced or trying to be nuanced in there. What exactly were the mistakes that Dave is referring to here? If you can figure it out, because I can't. I think the, I, I, I think the, the I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. I think the assumption is if we're bringing in these big, these big talents and we're giving them big money guaranteed contracts, uh, we shouldn't get married before we know what value they're bringing. Are we going to be able to offset what these expenses are? I mean, are they a nice to have, or are they a must have? And I think sometimes in, in business, that's an important, you've got to make a distinction. Hey, it'd be nice to have this person, but it, there's an old thing I saw back in the day. Uh, do you ever watch, um, hard knocks on HBO, the story where guys are trying to make an NFL cut. Sure. Well, th- they had a whole scene where they had a guy who was the Turk. So he's, unfortunately, he's the guy who's going to come tell you, Hey, your NFL dream is over. Coach wants to see you and I need your playbook type deal. And unfortunately he had a, a phrase that I'll never forget. And he says, um, no one is necessary. And I thought, okay, you know, it's nice to have everybody, but no one is necessary. And there are, there are certain people when you're, when you're making a budget for a pro wrestling show. They probably need to hear that where there are a couple of guys that you think, boy, if we don't have them, people are going to tune out. But if they're not immediately that guy, you can shuffle it around a little bit and, and make the budget work. So I, I get that. And that's a, that's a great kind of 33,000 foot general observation that most people could probably make without having any particular insight into anything. Um, However, there was much more to the reality of the story than Dave understood. And, and again, my perspective and one of the reasons I react to these things sometimes the way that I do is because there's always a message. There's always a subliminal, sometimes not so subliminal. There's always this little message in, in what Dave writes when, when he's trying to fulfill his agenda, because Dave, Dave writes with an agenda in mind. If he's putting something over, there's an agenda in mind. If he's burying something consistently, there's an agenda in mind. It's not a, an objective, knowledgeable perspective. It's an emotional attempt at personal gratification. And in this particular case, because Hulk Hogan came in, because Eric Bischoff came in, because Jeff Hardy came in, because Ric Flair came in, the subliminal message in Dave's reporting is that, well, since all these top guys or expensive guys, however you want to refer to them, are coming in, we don't have room for guys like Eric Young. That's the message. It's the underlying tone in in Dave's quote-unquote reporting. And I'm so sorry to absolutely massacre the true meaning of reporting, but I'll use it in this context. There are certain facts that contradict that. Who was paying for some of this high price, this high price talent that was coming in? It wasn't TNA as evidenced by some of the reporting and variety and other um, mainstream media magazines and quotes from Spike executives, not Eric Bischoff's opinion, not Hulk Hogan's opinion, not Ric Flair's opinion. Guess who was paying for those 
quote unquote high price talents. Spike. Not TNA. Yeah. What was really going on. Now this is secondhand information and I, unlike Dave Meltzer, I acknowledge secondhand information and the fact that it may or not may or may not be completely accurate because I didn't hear this directly from the source. I heard it from someone who did presumably hear it from the source and someone who I, you know, took a lot of, had a lot of confidence in at the time, but there was an initial investment made into TNA by the Carter family to get TNA up and running, to get TNA off the ground. And it was a substantial investment. I'm not going to throw the number out there because I did hear it secondhand. I don't want to be guilty of doing the same thing I criticize other people for, but there was a major multi, 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 multi million dollar investment initially. And then once TNA got up and running, the, the, the investors no longer wanted to fund TNA's growth. They wanted TNA to live on its own. They wanted it to cash flow itself. And by, by the way, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If TNA was ready to do so, they weren't. So despite the fact that Viacom was footing the bill for the stings, who by the way, was in TNA before Bischoff and Hogan ever got in. Um, the Kurt Angles, the Kevin Nashes, the, the big names that had come in, the, the Mick Foley's. Despite all of that, and the fact that Spike was financially mitigating, if not completely absorbing most of those costs, when TNA, made, when, when the investment group, whoever that was, made the decision that we are no longer going to cash flow this company, it has to live on its own, Despite the fact that Spike was mitigating or in some cases covering a lot of those big talent costs, um, TNA was suffering a cash flow problem. And that's what precipitated, I think, my opinion, that's what precipitated a lot of the cuts and probably the ones that you're, you're the, the one that you're specifically return, referring to with regard to Eric Young. It wasn't that. Eric wasn't making that much money for God's sake and cutting the house shows. I understood that. In fact, I was an advocate for that. Anybody that knows anything about me, my history and the way I turned WCW around from a company that was, had a gross revenue of 25 million a year and losing $10 million a year on that $25 million a year revenue gross. That's what I inherited. I didn't start a company from scratch. I inherited a massive money loser. And one of the first things that I did was cut out house shows. We've talked about that enough. I'm not going to mention it again. Um, so I was fully supportive of, of doing one of two things, either fund the company properly. The, the only thing worse than a really bad idea is a really good idea that's improperly funded. That's been my experience. And they either needed to, in my opinion, TNA, meaning they, TNA either needed to fund the house shows appropriately, which would include marketing and advertising and promotion and perhaps even going so far is to performing in venues that had a history of attracting a crowd because sometimes the venue matters. Just because something is cheaper doesn't necessarily make it better. And TNA's approach was to low dollar everything.
And if you could find, you know, a venue that you could get for 50 bucks and a 12 pack of Coors Light in a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken, good, we're going to go there. Well, it wouldn't matter that that venue may have had a may have had a history of not being able to attract anything because people just didn't want to go there or people weren't even aware of it that it even existed because nobody else ever went there. So you have a choice if you're going to make a move and you're 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 going to do live events, you have to support it. You do doing great doing live events when you're on television and you've got great talent is a good idea. Unfortunately, if it's poorly funded because nobody wants to do the take the real risks and and make the hard choices, um, if, if it's a good idea, but it's poorly funded, it's destined for failure. So in the, in the process of forcing TNA to cash flow itself based on its previous experience of operating in, you know, miserable venues without any promotion, because the, the inexperience of TNA was pretty obvious to me from the very beginning. There were people that were running, for example, live events that didn't know fuck all about live events. And you have to be kind of smart. You have to have some experience. You have to have some track record of, of success and yes, failure in order to be someone that you would, you know, hire to, to be in charge of your live events. But it was all, you know, these were all people that had no experience in anything, anything related to live events, let alone the professional wrestling business. So, I only go into this level of detail and spend this much time in the weeds to try to help people understand that in TNA at that time, despite the narrative of how Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff and all these big name talents that were making all this money killed TNA, that wasn't the case because in most cases, if not all, about, let me rephrase that, in most cases, but not all, those big contracts weren't being cash flowed by TNA. They were being cash flowed by Viacom. TNA was the beneficiary. And that's the missed opportunity. That's, you know, an example of the missed opportunity that I talk about so often whenever TNA comes up. You've got a, a network who believes in the product so much, they're willing to go way over and above from an investment perspective, way over and above what anybody would expect in a, in a television program licensing relationship. You know, I could, you know, a year or two down the road from 2010, I can talk about the close to million dollars that, if not more, that Viacom spent promoting and marketing TNA. And you know what the response was from TNA investment management? Oh, we hate that promotion. That sucks. We don't like that. We don't like the creative. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? But that was the mentality. And that's the core of my frustration whenever TNA comes up because they had such a great opportunity to become so much bigger and so much better than they were, but they couldn't escape the confines of the small mindedness and lack of experience of the people that invested in it. And that's what happens sometimes, you know, you, Conrad, you're a smart guy. You're, you're in, you're, in, you live in the business world and you know, a lot of people who are very smart, very successful in the business world. Oftentimes, you know, and I've, I've been there a couple of times myself 
when I've been out raising funds and raising money for different projects. You know, one of the, the, the most recent ones I did was a company called MX Gaming. And it, great idea at the time. Great idea at the time. We didn't have the money to fund it ourselves, so we went out and we actually did a pretty sophisticated money raise and, you know, raised seven figures in order to fund this thing. But the problem was the majority of the money that we raised was from a Chinese businessman, of all things. God, I'm almost afraid to say that in today's environment. That was very, very successful. This individual owned a ton, still does probably, a ton, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of apartment buildings in West Hollywood and West LA and studio city. And this individual was looking for, you know, an investment and it, it was great until you have to do business with someone that knows nothing about your business. There's smart money and there's dumb money. And in the case that I experienced, it, it was dumb money or not dumb. I was, cause this individual was obviously not dumb. But it was, it was bad money because you 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 you're now in business with and have a partner that's calling shots about something they have no understanding of, ever in their lives, and that was kind of the same thing I think that afflicted TNA in many cases. Boy, this has been a stressful year, but let me give you a little pro tip on how you can make dinner a little easier and stress free. HelloFresh offers convenient, no-contact delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. The recipes are easy to follow with simple steps and pictures to guide you along the way. And you get a great value. In fact, you'll save 40% when you use HelloFresh versus shopping at the grocery store. I should also mention it's delicious and nutritious and you get quite the variety. There's something everyone will enjoy including 20-minute meals, low-calorie, vegetarian, family-friendly recipes, and more. And how about this? They even help you eat more sustainably. HelloFresh is the first global carbon-neutral meal kit company. By skipping the grocery store and using HelloFresh, you're reducing your food waste by at least 25%. And it's flexible for your lifestyle. You can easily change your delivery days or meal plan preferences, even skip a week whenever you need to right on our app. But maybe best of all, HelloFresh is committed to giving back. HelloFresh is committed to donating meals to those in need. And so far in 2020, they've donated more than a three and a half million meals. Three and a half million meals. And I got to tell you, this is something that I was not totally familiar with. And then a few years ago, we were invited to try HelloFresh. And the result was a lot of fun. Uh, my wife and I didn't really have our cooking routine down. You guys remember we were married back in 2018, but when this box came up, we were both curious and excited and we got going. And by the way, it was fantastic. It was something we wouldn't have normally made. If we went to the grocery store, it was the perfect amount. It tasted great and it was fun to make together, but the convenience of having it delivered to your house and the time saved of having to figure out what we're going to eat. And if you're a guy listening to this, that's, well, all of you. The worst thing in the world is when you try to ask your wife, what do you want for dinner? And she says, I don't know, you pick. And then one after another, she says, not that, not that, not that. But if you surprise her and you say, hey, baby, let's cook dinner together, that's going to pay dividends. I've been using HelloFresh week after week, and it's still something I'm enjoying. We've had a lot of fun with it, and it tastes great. 
it's just the easier choice for us man and it's been so much fun i can't recommend it enough try it for yourself go to hellofresh.com forward slash weeks 90 use code weeks 90 to get 90 dollars off 90 dollars off including free shipping that's hellofresh.com forward slash w-e-e-k-s nine zero and use the code weeks 90 to get 90 dollars off including free shipping that's hellofresh.com forward slash weeks 90 use that promo code weeks 90 and 90 dollars off including free shipping you can't beat this i'm so excited about this Jeff Hardy is in the news here saying that, uh, he's been allowed yet another continuance on all the drug charges he's been facing. It's happened well over a year prior to this. Now it's continued into December. Somebody who won't be continuing at least for a little while is Mr. Anderson. He's actually going to miss this show. Uh, thanks to uh, a pretty bad chair shot. It was an accident, but it splits him open on the back of his head. And, uh, Meltzer says there's been a real change here and a lot of it maybe is from this Ken Anderson injury. All the talent have been told to get their hands up, block all the chairs or deliver the shots to the upper back. And Dixie Carter has a catch up with Chris Nowinski, who we know has done a lot of work with concussions and trying to take care of wrestling. And she wants to tone down all the blows to the head and is going to pull Mr. Anderson back. And, um, Chris has a quote. He says, based on our conversation and from feedback from some of the TNA wrestlers, I do think TNA and Mrs. Carter are taking a more active role in the concussion issue. And I hope to see the trend continue. This is the era where we started to really learn a lot about uh, CTE and traumatic brain injury. And this is a welcome change. I'm sure you were all for this. I was because I've never been a fan of chair shots. You know, it's, it's, you know, one of those moments or elements in a match that a lot of the talent you know, really believed in because it was, a, you know, it made a big bang and it was a look, it's real. These are a lot of times, these are big metal chairs and, and, and it, it adds to the realism, you know, of a match when someone takes a legitimate chair, not a gimmick chair, but a legitimate chair and whacks somebody on top of the head with it. And in more, more cases than not, that was an opportunity for talent to get juice, to, to bleed. Um, and I've, I've never liked that either. You know, I've never been a fan of blood and it's not because I'm queasy or, or any of that. I just think it's too over the top. And, you know, even today, you know, when I watch, sometimes when I watch back matches, you know, somebody gets cut and they go, they work so hard to sell it that even though it's very realistic. I won't say real, but very realistic. It's real in the sense that they're really bleeding, but they, they sell it so much that it doesn't feel real anymore. Yeah. It doesn't feel incidental. It doesn't feel when you, you know, when you watch, you know, when I watch, you know, guys, you know, in MMA or, or boxing, you know, even before MMA became popular and guys were bleeding, they would try to overcome it and ignore it and convince the ref it wasn't really happening as opposed to looking for that handheld camera and mugging for the shot and wiping it all over their face and tasting it and, you know, rolling around in it and all the other things that people do to kind of hype, you know, blood. 
So I've I just I've never been a fan of it. So to me, you know, the pressure on aside from the obvious, which is guys were getting you know brain damage essentially, not essentially, guys were damaging their brains in, in the process of doing it. I just felt it was too over the top and unnecessary in most cases. It didn't to me. It never really added to story. Let's keep it going. All right, let's talk about something that uh, everybody's going to be talking about. TiVo. Of course, TiVo is, uh, the brand that people are most familiar with when they first become aware that you can now we all use the phrase DVR. I think I actually had a TiVo back in like Oh two. So I was an early adopter, but now the rest of the world is, is catching up and believe it or not, impact is the most TiVoed wrestling show. Raw has about 5%. SmackDown has about 3% as far as additional viewers. When you count the TiVo views. But impact has a 14% increase. And, and in fact, it's now the most TiVoed wrestling show. Why do you think that is? Um, I mean, part of me thinks, well, it's just not a priority. It's not must see TV to watch live. There may be parts of the show. They don't like, they want to fast forward. I don't know. I'm curious what your theory is, but I also want to really, I guess, drive home that this is less than ideal for people who paid for ads on the show, right? Yeah, it was a big transition in the business for everybody, not just TNA and not just WWE or, or, or the wrestling industry, but TiVo became kind of a challenge for a lot of people. Number one, you know, the initial challenge was how do you account for it? You know, within the context of television ratings, how does, how does that fit into the formula? You know, people had to figure that out. Nielsen had to figure that out. Um, the other thing that it did, that TiVo did, was it enabled viewers to skip through the commercials. That's a really big problem for the television industry. By the way, it still is. Um, And there's been a lot of things that have been done to overcome that. You're seeing streaming shows now that actually include commercials. Um, Yep. But back then, this this technology was all new. It was all, you know, the wild, wild west and a brand new frontier. And people were adapting and figuring it out on the business side of things. Um, As to why, you know, I, I think I'm like you, Conrad. I think if something's important to me, I'm going to make time to watch it. If I'm, yeah, maybe I'm interested. Maybe I'm not. I'll TiVo it. And if I get around to it, I will. And I think that's probably was the case with TNA. Let's, uh, let's keep it going here and talk about some talent. We're going to see on the show here. Robbie E is 27 years old and Meltzer would say he's still working a full-time job as a high school physical education coach in Woodbridge, New Jersey. Although he told Alex Marvis, he's taking so many days off for TV that he's close to giving notice. His students are well aware of what he does. So it's not like Matt Stryker who would lie about his mother being on her deathbed and flake out on class and then show up on TV. Um, you know, he comes in with an interesting gimmick. I guess we could talk about it now, uh, at the time. And this is, boy, this was like a long time ago. Jersey shore was like the number one show for MTV and became a cultural phenomenon. It was an overnight sensation. It took over pop culture here in America for a hiccup, but everyone was at least aware of it and, and knew what it was. And that's a big deal. So we have, uh, instead of Jim Tam laundry, we have Jim Tan wrestle and we've got Robbie E portraying that Jersey shore style character. I guess this is life imitating art or art imitating life, whatever it may be. What can you tell us about Robbie E who we know now is working Wednesdays for NXT. I don't think I've ever been around anybody that made me laugh 
as hard and as consistently as Robbie E. What a what a fun guy to hang out with. And I, you know, I didn't hang out with him individually. He, whenever I spent any time at all with Robbie E, there was always two or three, four or five other people around. It was either after a show or during the course of producing the show, a group of us, maybe, you know, having lunch or something like that. Um, but God, what a comedian this guy is and his gimmick. And I don't even know if it's a gimmick. I'm, he was so good at it. I'm still not convinced one way or the other, whether he was the dumbest human being I've ever met or the most talented and the smartest because he played the role of being stupid so well. (laughs) I mean, it's confusing now. Clearly he's a bright guy, right? Clearly he's an intelligent guy. He got through high school. He got through college. He got a job as a teacher. So clearly he is an intelligent person. However, (laughs) when you were talking to him, he would say some of the dumbest shit and, and it, it would be so straight when he said it, that there were people like me who were convinced sometimes momentarily or sometimes for half an hour that this was a, like, this guy probably shouldn't be allowed behind the wheel of a car. He's too right. stupid to drive. He's actually too stupid to be left out of the house alone. There should be somebody with him 24 hours a day because anybody as dumb as Robbie E pretended to be should not be out of the house alone. He, but he was so good at it and his timing and his comedic instincts were so fucking good that it was hard to delineate between the act he was putting on, which is what it was, and the real person. It took me a long time to figure it out. And a lot of other people too, by the way, I wasn't the only one. There was a lot of other people that spent a lot of time around Robbie E that were convincing me, know that he really truly was that stupid. Um, but he wasn't and he isn't. He's a very, very, very talented dude. And actually Robbie E and my son became pretty good friends. Oh, cool. Uh, Garrett, yeah. Garrett and uh, Robbie E became pretty close for a while. And I, that's how I really got to know Robbie e a little bit more was through Garrett. But man, up until that point, I was thinking, how in the world does this guy ever find the airport? How does he know which, how does he know which flight to get on? I mean, it, the, oh God, he was hilarious. And he's a very, very talented, gifted talent in the ring. I, I want to mention the company's going to do a European tour uh, with dates on January 21st in France, uh, the 22nd. They're also in Paris. The 24th, they're in Dublin. The 25th, they're in Berlin. The 27th, they're in Glasgow. You guys went over there to a hero's welcome. I don't know that anybody would have necessarily predicted that. Or did you know that that would be the case? That, hey, we're doing okay over here, but we're going to be hot over there. I didn't know. I was surprised as well. Uh, you know, because I was, again, not being in the office, not being involved in the international side of television, just not being a part of any conversations relative to the success of TNA internationally. I, you know, I, I had no idea. And I found out subsequently, obviously that, you know, TNA was doing, especially in the UK was doing extremely well. And in, in some cases, and I may be wrong about this. So, 
you know, feel free to bust my balls if you feel the need to. Not you, Conrad, but, you know, people listening to this. But my understanding at the time was that TNA, because it was on free TV, was actually getting more viewers than WWE was because WWE was on a subscription service. I see. So, yeah, TNA was a real big hit over in the UK, which is one of the reasons why, you know, TNA went over there so often. It's, it's another reason why, and a good reason, by the way, Dixie was spending as much time as she was in the UK, promoting as hard as she was for the UK audience, bringing as much talent over from the UK as she could afford, uh, was because she really looked at the UK as not just a secondary market, but from a financial perspective, probably more successful for TNA as a business than the domestic live event audience could ever be. Gentlemen, start your boners. It's bluechew.com. They're still with us. They're still sponsoring 83 weeks all these years later. And you know, you want to know why it's not because Eric introduced them to the wrestling world here on 83 weeks. It's not because they just love our hilarious ad reads. It's because you guys know that blue chew really works. Wrestling fan after wrestling fan has improved the quality of their life, especially during quarantine this year with blue chew. This is a game changer. It's not for guys with ED. Okay. I guess it could help with that, but this is really aimed at guys like me and you, our age, late thirties, early forties, maybe mid to late forties, maybe early fifties. You want to go ahead and get, a, get an edge. You want to feel like you're 19 again. Remember the days when the wind would blow and it feel like wow, wow, wow. Okay. You can do that again here with blue shoe. But here's another advantage that we haven't spent enough time talking about with blue shoe. If you have trouble swallowing pills, you've probably missed out on Viagra and Cialis. Not only was it more expensive and a hassle, but you had to swallow it. This is, this is not a pill. This is a chewable. Now it's got the same great active ingredients that you find in Viagra and Cialis, but now it's a chewable. You can take them on a full or empty stomach because it's a chewable. It could work faster and it's all prescribed by a doctor. That's the safest part of the whole thing. Just want to make sure everybody knows as they're listening to this, a bluechew.com affiliated physician is going to work with you and find the right dosage and active ingredient that's best for you. Now that online physician consult, well, that's free. So it's cheaper than the other two. It's also very fast because it only takes a few minutes to connect with one of those affiliated physicians at bluechew.com. And if you qualify, you get prescribed online very quickly. To recap, there's no in-person doctor visit. There's no awkward conversation. There's no waiting in line at a pharmacy. Instead, this is going to ship directly to your door, all in discreet packaging. These chewables from bluechew.com are made in the USA. That's right. The red, white, and blue chew. You and your partner are going to love it. So what are you waiting for? Chew it and do it. And this is what mama really wants for the holidays. Okay. Stuff her stockings like she's never had it stuffed before. Here's your offer. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order for free. When you use our promo code 83 weeks, just pay $5 shipping. Is that fair enough? Free. How's free sound, Bubba? That's B L U E C H E W.com. And the promo code is 83 weeks. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is 83 weeks. You pay $5 shipping and get a rock hard ding dong. It's as easy as one, two, three at bluechew.com. Let's talk about the uh, build of this show. Let's talk about specifically the November 4th impact. This is the go home episode before the pay-per-view Meltzer would write the show opened with Eric Bischoff in a black gi 
He's a great performer and all, but this didn't work in 98. And now he's 12 years older and looking every bit of it. As he was throwing <laughs> punches, Taz said he reminded him of Larry Holmes. Now where that came from. And then Taz made up some stories about Bischoff walking on hot coals in the Fuji islands. And on this <laughs> show, well, he, he goes on a rant about Taz, but the gist is you're out front doing your thing, uh, a featured part of the show. Meltzer's critical of it in hindsight. Was it the right call or should you have been more behind the scenes in this era? Do you think? I think I would agree with Dave on this one. Uh, you know, watching it back today, I was a little angry at myself for allowing myself to step out in front of a camera when physically I, I wasn't ready. I'd gained a lot of weight. I, I hadn't really no intention of ever being on television again. So I wasn't thinking about that. You know, when you, when you step in front of a camera, you, know, you have a responsibility to the people you work for to be prepared. And I wasn't, you know, I was a little embarrassed today. Honestly, when I saw it, I look better today than I did 10 years ago. That's how bad, not, not that I look good today, but I'm in better shape today and look better camera wise you know, in 2020, almost 2021 than I did in 2010. So I, I, I don't disagree with Dave on that one. I don't think it's a criticism. I think that's a valid point. They did a deal. Uh, let me just read the recap from Meltzer. Mike today and Taz interviewed Anderson. It was either at his home in green Bay or on the way to the Mayo clinic in Rochester. Uh, he talked about his concussion and about how scary it was when he couldn't remember anything. This came off as real and was a great interview. It's just amazing that they did this segment and followed it up with Katie Burchill in the mirror sky and love were in the makeup room. And it's like, do these women ever leave the makeup room? Oh yeah. Mickey James hangs out at catering. Sky told love that she wanted to prove a point. So I asked her to stay backstage. She left and then winter shows up. And even though there was only one door and she didn't walk through it, she started talking to love about never being alone again. And then she disappeared without going out the door. So some silly stuff here, touching some real stuff. Is that ever a good idea in wrestling? When you're talking about concussions and doing a real sit down, almost 60 minute style. Okay. Now we know the rest is just pulling your leg and funning, but this is real. And then we immediately cut to this, uh, well, less than realistic scene. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look at the scene. I mean, he did a good job describing it. I can vaguely remember it, but that was kind of a Vince Rousseau. Vince loved booking the women. And by the way, before I go on, Winter was just so fucking sexy. God, still is to this day. Not quite sure why she didn't, why she didn't become more successful in the industry, but, um, that has nothing to do with your question. I just thought I'd make that point in case she's listening. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think when you have a re and that's always the, it's a tricky part of, you know, reality based storylines in a wrestling show because they're kind of abrupt and shocking in a way, you know, they're contrasting, you're going from one, how do I best say this? It's like, you know, you're, you're watching a science fiction movie on one channel and then you abruptly, you know, change over to the discovery channel. And 
you know, within the, and that's fine if you're if you're consciously making the choice. If you're sitting at home and you're watching the Sci-Fi Channel and you become disinterested or just you've had enough for whatever reason, and then you consciously pick up the the remote and switch over to the Discovery Channel because you have an expectation of what you're going to see, and that particular channel may satisfy that expectation. That's one thing. But when you're sitting there watching wrestling and you're going from science fiction to reality to science fiction to reality to comedy to reality back to science fiction, it can you can lose viewers that way. It's yeah. hard for them emotionally to keep up. So I, I think it probably is a bad idea. And if you're going to do it, that's you know, a couple of things that I've noticed about this show that I if I had to go back and do it again, I'd do it differently. Um, you gotta be careful about where you place things because when they contrast so much, um, it can be so abrupt that, you know, that, that one viewer that you engaged with the reality of the Ken Anderson storyline becomes absolutely, you know, not offended, but maybe subconsciously offended with the silly shit. And that's, yeah, you just have to be aware of it. You know, if you're going to do it, separate them a little bit, create a little bit of a transition in the middle give the reality based story a little bit of a breather, give it some breathing room before you shift into something that's so abruptly 180 degrees in, in terms of how you're presenting story. Let's, uh, let's talk about how we finish the show. Meltzer would say, Hope beat abyss by DQ in 50 seconds. Abyss started attacking fans, pulling them over the rail and laying them out. He hated the segment, but the show ends with quote Bischoff in the ring. He brought out a card for Jeremy Borash to read as a spoof of a Michael buffer boxing ring announcement. And it was actually great. Borash when introducing Anderson called him the rushing concussion and the president Obama of head trauma and Bischoff was announced at a slim trim, 168 pounds with his gut hanging out. Uh, <laughs> he had fun with this. Uh, obviously the gist is, uh, Morgan's going to come out, lay out Bischoff with his carbon footprint, gets the pen, signs the contract. So we didn't have a, a replacement for Matt Hardy or, or for Matt Hardy's opponent here, uh, Ken Anderson. Now we do, it's going to be Matt Morgan, but I like the, uh, the introducing of a guy who does have some, some concussion issues. Let's turn that into a story. Let's make, you know, something that we already know is real. And we've even touched on in this show with a big sit down interview and let's have the heels poke fun at it out of context. That's that doesn't work, but in the confine confines of a wrestling show, this really works. Chicken salad, brother, chicken salad. We were the chicken salad Kings. All right, so let's get to the show. We've been talking for more than an hour now, so let's jump into it. We've already given you the, uh, the readers of the wrestling observer, what they thought 100% thumbs down. Eric disagrees. We want your opinion. Fire up your impact plus app. Let us know what you thought of this show. I got to tell you the opener. I enjoyed Robbie E is going to be challenging Jay lethal for the X division title. Uh, of course we mentioned he's got GTW on his tights, which is Jim tan wrestling. Crowd super hot for the characters here. Earl Hebner is your referee. Of course, we've got our own Snooky ripoff with a lady named Cookie. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> Lethal loses 
Uh, lethal goes for the top rope, but cookie scoops lethal's leg. He's crotched on the top rope. And then wouldn't you know it, Robbie uses a neck breaker for the pin two and three quarter stars. I kind of like this story. You know, lethal was dominating the match until a little shady interference here. Let's Robbie E steal the victory. What'd you think watching it back? Yeah. Before we start with that, um, I love the open of the show with Jeff Hardy, Mm -hmm. by the way. Yes. Um, where he referred to himself though, as the antichrist kind of caught my attention because I thought that was my gimmick based on all the mean tweet responses that I had to deal with the other day over at adfreeshows.com. I, I, I really was convinced up until this morning that I was the antichrist of professional wrestling, but here was Jeff Hardy assuming that crown that aside, I thought the open was really well done and it kind of set, set up the main event nicely. So I thought it was some of Jeff Hardy's best kind of promo work. Um, at least during that period of time, I'm not familiar with all the stuff that he did in WWE, obviously, but within TNA, I thought that was some of his best work. The, the Robbie EJ lethal match I thought was phenomenal. I loved everything about it until the finish. Gah, surprise, surprise. Um, it could have worked, but I thought the match was so good. The pace was great from the get go. Execution was crisp. Psychology was good. Both of these guys stayed in character, but the finish Oh, one other little note I made, and this is going to sound like a criticism. I do not mean it to be. This is purely subjective Taz and Mike today. This is just my own opinion, which clearly a hundred percent of the wrestling observer readers would disagree with anyway, but I felt like Taz and today both and here's the here's the problem I have with it. They both did a phenomenal job doing color commentary, but neither one of them were doing play by play. I think if if and I've talked about this before, this by one, it's not even a criticism, it's a critique, I guess, if there's a difference. Criticism being just I hate that. Critique being somewhat constructive. I think if you know, Mike Tanay, the reason I hired him in, in, in WCW and I felt so strongly about him and was so supportive of him and was so happy with him was because as a color commentator, he added so much depth to, to the commentary. But he never, in my opinion, subjective as it is, in my opinion, never transitioned to play-by-play. He was constantly doing one form of color commentary or another. Taz also did a phenomenal job, in my opinion, in color commentary, but that was Taz's role. We needed somebody to to provide a clear distinction between play-by-play and color that would accentuate each other, and we didn't get that here. Um, But again, subjective, it's just my opinion. I love everything else about the match, but the finish, there was so much action. It was so fast paced. It was so exciting. It was so crisp. It was so well executed. There was great logic and psychology involved. And in the end, it was a, you know, little minute interference that Jay was forced to oversell, which gave, you know, Robbie the win. I think if the the finish would have been half as dramatic as the match, this thing would have blown everybody away. But once again, 
if 87 minutes of a movie is great and the last three minutes suck, it's the last three minutes that you remember. And it's the last three minutes that you walk out of the theater, you know, creating that bitter taste in your mouth. And unfortunately, I just don't think the finish came even close to living up to the, the other 99.9 tenths percent of the match. But unfortunately, the finish is what we remember. I thought the match was phenomenal. Both of these guys did such a great job. Um, I don't know how anybody who is, you know, of the mind to just love great action for the sake of action could have not felt anything but, you know, impressed with this match. We all know 2020 is a little nuts, but that doesn't mean you should disregard your nuts, no matter what size or shape they're in. In fact, Manscaped is on a mission to take care of your manhood with their below the waist grooming and hygiene products. And great news. They just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia. And here's the thing. We all know a buddy who thought red turns to green and maybe took it a little too literally with their, uh, you know, their gimmick, their Frankenbeans. Well, that's not going to draw a house. In fact, it's going to alienate everyone and you're going to be alone trying to figure it out with those little pieces of toilet paper, like a fucking mark. Don't do that. They've also just released over at manscaped.com. The crop care kit, which is a formulation bundle to give you a plus balls and is the ultimate male hygiene hack. Who could forget the crop care that includes, this is real, by the way, the crop preserver ball deodorant. I think the name speaks for itself. What about the old crop reviver, the ball toner? It's a spray on toner to give your balls a little slice of heaven. It's got some aloe vera and some uh, hazel extracts there. The body wash is the crop cleanser. That's a full body wash that you can also use on your hair. And maybe my favorite, this is a real innovation here, boys and girls, the crop mop ball wipes. You never know when an, when an opportunity could strike and you just want to be prepared in case you uh, go grazing sometime. And don't forget the foot duster. This is a brand new thing that Dave Silva needs real bad. It's foot deodorant. Now that's a free gift. It's designed to keep even the stankiest feet smelling fresh. They got their work cut out for them with Dave Silva. Let's not forget about the best part of this entire package. It's the best trimmer for your butt, your balls, and your body. It's the Lawnmower 3.0. And this trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with advanced skin safe technology, which helps reduce those grooming acts. By the way, the waterproof technology also allows you to groom in the shower for up to 90 minutes. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free, so you know your manhood is in good hands. In fact, you're probably playing with your balls right now, so you might as well invest in the crop care kit and make your balls elite. The, the elite. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code 83 weeks. Now, if you care for those beautiful balls of yours, all you have to do is go to their site, hit a few buttons on your phone, change your life for the better. It really is that simple. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code 83 weeks and add some swag to your old saggy bag. Come on, manscaped.com. Use that promo code 83 weeks and seriously, check out this kit. And by the way, this cannot just be for you. This could be the ultimate gift around the office. Okay. Be careful there, but this would be a great gift for your family. Member. I'm going to give one to my dad. Uh, I've given them to my uncles. I've given them to my cousins. Everybody I know is getting their crop care kit and they think at first that I'm ribbing them. Then they try it and they're like, Hey man, I'm telling you, it's a game changer. 
Don't just do it for yourself. It's a great gift. It's manscaped.com, and the promo code is 83 weeks. Next up, we've got Tara going to a no contest with Mickey James in eight minutes and 15 seconds. Meltzer really liked it. He gave it three and a quarter stars, but he called it the best women's match on a pay-per-view from either company in a long time. Mickey James and uh, the former Victoria. We know that those are two very, very good, almost ahead of their time. Female performers here. This was good stuff. Even though I, I wish it wouldn't have been a no contest. Um, but you know, if you're going to throw a referee into a wall, you're going to get a DQ. Uh, the crowd groans, but then they keep, they keep going. And, uh, Tara breaks a broom over Mickey James back. James comes back, hitting Tara with a garbage can. Eventually they break free and security's there. And it's kind of fun. We've seen these big brawls and we've got to have referees and office personnel and everybody separate them, but that's usually reserved for the guys. They do it with the ladies here and it works. Yeah, again, once once more before we get into the match, go back to the promo by Mickey James leading into this match. Solid, solid work. And, you know, we've all heard the saying, less is more. And it means different things to different people, and it has different <clears throat> um, applications. But I think here is a perfect example, again, if you go back and you watch this, you know, and watch some of the promos that we see today. Most of them are filler, um, probably more so in WWE than anywhere else because WWE has more time to fill. They just don't matter. Like you could use them and not use them and it doesn't fucking change much. Here, this promo set the tone. It was simple. It was clean. It was direct. It made a point. This is a personal issue. So for people who maybe weren't necessarily interested in this particular story up until this moment or weren't aware of it or perhaps hadn't watched TNA for a couple of weeks but decided to watch the pay-per-view, Mickey did a phenomenal job of setting the tone and foreshadowing what this match was going to be without necessarily going out and saying, this is going to be a bra, we're going to fight all over the place, I'm going to keep screaming and yelling and all the typical wrestling shit that comes out of most people's mouths or out of the minds of most writers who've never really been near you know, the product before. Here you've got you know, simple, clean, direct, believable, believable you know, dialogue from, from Mickey James that made the match mean something. The match itself, here again, you know, this is twice on one show now. I'm agreeing with Dave Meltzer, which means hell's about to fucking freeze over. I might as well grab my jacket now um, and my cold-weather boots. But I thought this match, this is an example of a match that if, if you could, you know, forget about time. And you had that magic wand and you could make anything happen. You wanted to happen. You could drop this match in the middle of WrestleMania and it would stand on its own. And this was a phenomenal match. The referee did a great job. This referee, Jackson James, fucking awesome. Awesome. The only thing I didn't like, by the way, Jackson James is my son, Garrett. The only thing I didn't like. I don't know if I'd like, I don't know if didn't like it was, is the right way to say it, but 
kind of pissed the crowd off when you broke them up. It, it, I think if you would have let them restart that match and then let it have a finish, even if you would have had to bring in another referee, I'm not a big fan of that kind of a creative solution, but sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it makes sense. This is one of those times when I think it would have, could have made sense. Um, but God damn, this was a great match. And I, I, I circled four times and put asterisks next to my, next to my four circles, personal issues, personal issues. I think Jr. probably talks as much about that as I do. Probably more man. When you've got, when you can establish believable, credible, personal issues that people can buy into and feel and relate to magic can happen. And when you've got a personal issue that was positioned in the promo, by the way, before the match even started very well done, whoever formatted the show was a fucking genius. Um, and, and produce that promo. Um, this, I, 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 I was so, this is, this is when I sent the tweet this morning, watching this match is when I sent this tweet. Um, and, 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 or no, I actually, I sent it during the bully, the, the 3d match. This is why, this is one of the reasons why I was so excited about this show early on. This match was great. Personal issues, great execution, simple, effective, direct and emotional promo leading into it. The pacing was great. The execution was great. The physicality was great. This match could live in a rest, next year's WrestleMania and deserve to be there. That's big words, but I can't necessarily disagree. We're off to a good start so far. Uh, let's talk about the next match, which uh, I think me and you agree is uh Way better than people probably expected. Three and a half stars. You've got the legendary team 3d, the former Dudley boys. Everybody knows who they are and they're trying hard to push that 3d is retiring, but nobody really believes it. Uh, but they're taking on a team that, man, I don't think really ever got there just to the motor city machine guns. We've said this before, but Alex Shelley and Chris Saban were just so innovative and I can't help, but wonder, you know, if you could go back in time a little bit. Wouldn't it be cool to see what those guys, I don't know. You just, it just feels like timing is everything. And, and you see a match like this and you see performers like this and a tag team like this. And you realize, man, different time, different place could have been a much bigger deal, but it's, they're not here too. They get a win over team 3d. They get a three and a half star match. Uh, the crowd was, was back and forth or even chanting for 3d. They want the, we want table spot. They want, you know, Devon and Bubba to do the wise up and all that jazz, but they do the 3d to Saban, but Saban kicks out and they play it up huge. Almost like it's the first time in history. Someone had ever kicked out of the move. They try to set up a 3d again, but this time Shelly super kicks Bubba. They do the skull and crossbones on Bubba and they get the pin. And afterwards, everyone raises each other's hands and celebrates. It's the match of the night. According to the observer, it's a special match. You can tell just by watching the crowd reaction, but man, that made me wish that we saw more Saban and Shelley together in 2020. Yeah. I'm going to, well, I'm going to talk about the match in just a second. And I'm, I'm not going to mention this again throughout this podcast. And again, I encourage you to go back and watch this pay-per-view on the impact plus app. <clears throat> tell me what you think. 
if you agree or disagree with me, but there's a, there's a number of really subtle things aside from the just amazing quality of the effort that the talent put into this match, which we'll talk about in just a second, but much like Mickey James did such a great job setting up the personal issue, foreshadowing that establishing that consciously and subconsciously in the viewer's mind. So that when it actually started happening, people went, wow, this really is a personal issue, especially going into the finish of that match between Mickey and, and Tara. Um, the promo work here, it was a different style. And this is one of the things that I brought Jason and I brought to the table in TNA and we did way differently than anybody else had ever done in professional wrestling. And it's a subtle thing and people may not even really recognize it, but because we were doing so much work in reality television and one of the, the mainstays of a reality television format is a confessional as they refer to it in, in reality TV where and I'm just going to make this up off the top of my head, but if it's a, if it's the, uh, the Jersey shore, since we talked about that at the very beginning, you see the drama, you see the conflicts, you see all that stuff playing out amongst the cast, right? And then they pull the cast aside and you get their personal perspectives of the issues that you've been watching playing out, right? And in those confessionals, the talent doesn't look directly into the camera. Yep. You don't see the person interviewing the talent, right? But the story comes forth and you, 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 you as a viewer, you understand that, you know, if Eric Bischoff is in a reality show and he's in the middle of this interview or confessional as it were, and, and being asked how he feels about something that just happened a few moments ago in the beach house, I'm talking to someone, I'm sharing my perspective, I'm sharing my emotions, but I'm not doing it, you know, with some silly announcer standing there holding a mic in a static environment that looks completely artificial and then end up looking in the camera. And, oh, by the way, the camera isn't moving all over the fucking place and zooming in and out, which is so goddamn distracting. I don't know why anybody today still continues to shoot promos that way. Cause it's about as 19. Well, we'll go 2001 as you can get the, the technique has be, has advanced so far beyond that. But for whatever reason, Again, particularly in WWE, I'm not here to bang on them, but it, it is what it is. And I've been bitching about this for the last 15 years, so it's nothing new. But goddamn, figure out a different way to shoot your promos because they suck as they are for the most part. Not all of them, but for the most part. Pritchard, you hearing me? Start looking at some of the ways people shoot these, these confessionals because it makes them feel so much more real and believable. And you get sucked into the story. Because it feels believable. There is nothing fucking believable about some talent standing backstage in a completely sterile environment that doesn't really look like the talent would really be in there in, in that environment anyway. Standing next to someone who's asking the question and setting the, the talent up for a response that for the most part doesn't really drive a story anyway. And then the talent walks off and the poor, you know, I feel sorry for the announcers that are forced to do this or the interviewers because then they're standing there looking, you know, holding the mic with a stupid look on their face, trying to figure out a way to react to something that there should be no reaction to anyway. It's just horrible. And I think if you, if you look at this show and look at the promo that, 
that Bully did um, leading into this match that set the tone. It it just it made you feel. It made you believe. And a lot of that has to do with Bully and Devon, by the way, because they're very, very, yeah. very good. Not everybody yeah. can pull it off, but man, it was so good and it was so believable. And it just made me realize why, why. And it was interesting because when we first started doing this, it had never been done in wrestling before. And all I remember, I was, I was out, I was in Nashville actually. And I don't know, it must've been either SmackDown or raw. All of a sudden they started copying TNA. They started doing the confessional style promos as opposed to the 1980s, you know, Gene Okerlund standing there holding the mic in front of a chroma key. You know, the WWE has advanced, you know, since then they don't use chroma key anymore, but it's still the same format, you know, and it, we had started doing it in TNA and all of a sudden WWE started doing it and it was like, yeah, great. That's awesome. You know, you know, what's that saying? Uh, imitation uh, is the most imitation is the most sincere form of of flattery. And I was actually flattered that they were copying what we were doing because I knew it was good and, and they gave it up. For whatever reason, they went back to their old way, which they're still doing to this day, which blows my fucking mind. But anyway, I, you know, I, I, and I only, I'm only picking on them because I'm so passionate about it. And I think it could enhance their property so much more. And they do, and, and they do it so often. It's probably the other reason I'm picking on them more than anybody else. But in this particular scene, go back and watch this and look how believable, feel, not look, feel how believable the story becomes when you shoot it in that confessional style where you don't have the cameras zooming in and out and a fake camera shake and all that other fucking vertigo inducing bullshit that people do. Just watch this and tell me if you don't think it makes you feel like the story is more real. You know, our friend Dan St. Germain, who by the way, killed it at the roast of Bruce Pritchard a few years ago. He still has, uh, well, perhaps my favorite roast joke ever. I don't know that I should retell it here, but my good God, what a savage he is. Anyway, he's got a wrestling podcast now called Total and Marks with fellow comedian Scott Chaplin and the man behind the WWE creative-ish Twitter account, Robert Karpales. I really enjoyed the episodes they did with Ron Funches and Dan Soder, two other huge wrestling fans who are hilarious comedians. Hell, even I've been on the show and of course the real pod father himself, Mr. Colt Cabana. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Just check it out. It's total effing marks. That's, you know, F apostrophe N like ECF and W come on total effing marks. If you like wrestling, no, no, no. If you love wrestling and you love comedy, I can't recommend this one enough. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. It's total F and marks wherever you enjoy podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else. Our man, Dan St. Germain is going to make you laugh. I guarantee it. Eric, I'd never heard the, the, the phrase used confessional, uh, in regards to wrestling before the first time I heard that, and I think you said, oh, it's a, a reality TV term. Did real world create that? Because I remember way back when, in like the puck era of real world, the infancy of real world. That's the first time I remember seeing those little one-off interviews. And I think they even referred to it on air as a confessional. No, you're probably right. And you know, you go back and watch, you know, in real world really was the, 
was the first right. in many respects uh, of the reality format and everybody else started following that. But, but people don't realize reality television has existed over in Europe um, prior to coming to the United States. The format, the concept of the idea of a reality show really started in Europe. Uh, a company called uh, Endemol out of the Netherlands was was the company that really kind of broke ground with the reality format that we've all become so familiar with and tired of in many cases to this day. But, you know, Mark Burnett of Survivor did a great job using it too. Um, but you're probably right. You know, real, wo- real world, I have a hard time saying that, um, was was probably the first that introduced that into the United States. And, you know, we, Jason and I didn't invent it, certainly. We used it. We utilized it in a lot of the – in all of the reality shows that we produce, and we produced a lot of them. Um, but we were the first to apply it to professional wrestling. And I'm disappointed that more people aren't doing it today because it makes everything feel so much more real. And they're not that hard. It just changes the way you do it. If you have to think a little differently, you have to produce a little differently, but damn, it's worth the effort. Chat me up about the match. I know you, uh, gave a lot of credit to, uh, Bubba Ray and Devon for the build. what do you think the actual in-ring performance here? I, I, it's just mind boggling to me. Mind boggling. This is another match much like, um, Tara and Mickey James, this match if you could wave your magic wand and erase the constraints of time and pick something up and move it, move it to another couple decades (laughs) um, or a decade in this case and drop it in the middle of of WrestleMania or, or in the middle of any one of AEW's biggest pay-per-views, this match would stand on its own up against and compare more than favorably to anything that you would see today. Just from a story. And again, this is subjective, this is my opinion. Doesn't mean anything to anybody but me, but I will go to my grave saying that matches that are, yes, Dave Meltzer, executed technically very, very well. No question about that. I'm not taking a dump on the the, the necessity of great execution in the ring. I'm not. But great execution in the ring without a great story and without the emotion that a great story creates is nothing more than an exhibition. This match was a story. This match was a movie. This match brought tears to my eyes. This match was, and it brought tears to my eyes. Watching it this morning brought tears to my eyes. I've been in the business, well, I'm not really in the business anymore, but I've been in and around the business for over 33 years. And I'm as cynical and calloused and I'm as hard to impress as anybody, if not more, especially when it comes to story and emotion. But this match had it. And I think the emotion that it created in me was just the sense of loss (laughs) of, wow, you know, it wasn't that long ago when people actually put on great matches with great story. And 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 I don't much mean the story of the match. I don't just mean the three acts in the match. I mean the buildup and the emotion and the foundation of story that goes along with it. You know, for Bully and Devon to, you know, have to reach that point in life when all of us reach, every one of us, just like we all have to face death, 
We all have to face certain things that are traumatic in our life. We all know it's coming. It's bound to happen sooner or later, but until it happens to you, you don't really imagine, you can't imagine the gravity of that moment. And as dramatic as I may have tried to make that sound, and I, I did so intentionally, Bully and Devon, or Bubba and Devon in this case, whatever it was, did such a great job of making me believe that they believed that this was it. This was it. And God, it was awesome. And the motor, and by the way, we're talking about, I'm talking about, you know, 3D here. Motor City Machine Guns played their role so exceptionally well. You could not have, God, you could have gone to Hollywood and found, you know, credible actors that, that could have played their part as well as, as Motor City Machine Guns did here. It was just so fucking perfect. And the finish of the match was so good. was so good. I don't know, man. I, I don't know how anybody could. Th if the rest of the card would have sucked and this match would have been on it, I still would have considered the pay-per-view a huge success. That's how good this match was. Go out of your way to see it. It's one of the better matches you'll see. Uh, I, we've said a lot about it, but enough can't be said about it. Really a great match. It stood out to me. The next one, not so much. And after such a hot match like that, it, it's often referred to as the popcorn match, or as Bruce would say, the let me up match. Uh, when you're trying to figure out where to put who on a card, it can often be the death spot, but they bring out two more than capable legends. Tommy dreamer is going to drop a pinfall here to Rob Van Dam in 15 minutes and 54 seconds. Rob Van Dam is obviously one of the more exciting performers in any era. You see him. But the crowd's just not into this the way they probably should be. And the match suffers. Meltzer would even say the match reads really, really good, but the crowd just wasn't into it at all. Star and a half. And we should mention dreamer gets hurt in this spot and it's bad, like real bad. Um, he hurt his left wrist. He's trying to do a splash off the top rope, but when he takes the glove off, it looks like the bone is about to poke through his skin. This is rough. And he continues and it's hard to imagine anybody continuing, but he did Rob Van Dam picks up the win. what do you think watching this back 10 years later, Eric? You know, I was a little bit like you, I, I was underwhelmed with it, but you know, as anybody that's been listening to me most recently, uh, I, I, why was I underwhelmed with this match? What, what cause the RVD you know, unquestionably, especially at this point, one of the more exciting performers in the industry, anywhere in the world, no question about it. Tommy Dreamer, great in his style of wrestling, had a strong following, great character. But why, why didn't I like this match? And I, I, I'm going to go back. God, I'm, I'm almost already sick of hearing myself talk about this, but there was no setup. Right. Why did I care? Why would anybody care about this match? Why am I going to invest any amount of emotion in this match? It's just a match. And I hate to say it's just a match with two amazing performers like RVD and Tommy Dreamer, especially RVD. I'm, I got to give credit where credit is due here. Um, but Tommy was, was an exciting, talented performer with a tremendous amount of, uh, of equity amongst the fans. But I didn't care. I couldn't get myself to care. 
And the reason I couldn't get myself to care as I asked myself, why don't I care about this match is because nobody gave me a reason to, mm. it's just a match. No matter how good it was, it was just a match. Next up, we've got uh, fortune, which is Kazarian, AJ styles, Robert rude, James storm, and Douglas Williams taking on EV two, which is Rhino Sabu Raven. And Stevie Richards, of course, the ECW originals. Oh, and Brian Kendrick is here as well. Uh, they all take turns doing a promo beforehand. Well, fortune does Flair, of course, is all over the promo. This match is, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I expected, but you got a lot of great talent in there. And it feels like some of them are just lost in the shuffle. Uh, they go 11 minutes and 17 seconds. It's, uh, two and a quarter stars. Uh, of course, flares out. And says that they get to pick who gets fired. And he says he always hated the Sheik, and he fires Sabu. And the announcers had already said he was fired a minute earlier. So there's a major lack of communication here as far as inside the production. Uh, what'd you think? I mean, this is feels like an odd match, feels like a weird place. And you've got some of I mean, in this era, beer money's over like Rover. We know Kazarian is apparently capable of time travel. He looks just as good here as he does today and vice versa. AJ styles is going to grow into becoming one of the top guys in the biz. And we both agree that Doug Williams is criminally underrated. And it just feels like they're sort of lost in the shuffle here. And I realized this was supposed to be the, the main story on the go home show, sort of fortune and immortal teaming together to take down EV two, but it didn't feel like it watching it back here. This didn't feel important. Am I wrong? Am I reading that wrong? No. And, and I get this, this, this podcast and this particular pay-per-view might qualify as some kind of a wrestling masterclass because you've got, you know, you've got such contrasting examples here of what is the absolute best in this thing we love called professional wrestling. And, and I mean, I'm even going to include, you know, the Robbie E and, and Jay lethal match in this, although it certainly wasn't as good as the, the Tara Mickey James match, or definitely not even close to the 3d motor city machine guns match. But why do I care? Give me one reason why I care. I, it wasn't set up properly. There was no emotion from any of the people involved. God knows there was enough of them. You could have picked one. And, and by the way, my bad, I'll, I'll, I'm going to take the heat for this one. There was no setup for this, right? It was just, again, another match and to exacerbate an already difficult situation by putting on a match. That's just a match with no emotion, no story, no buildup. You got, it's a clusterfuck. You can't, you got too many people. It's just too much. It's again, you know, I, I'm going to set, I'm going to set up something where I can actually hit myself with a little shock. Every time I start talking about the same shit too many times, I could shock myself into another conversation, but six man, eight man, 12 man, let's have a 300 man 
match. I mean, fuck, nobody gets an opportunity to really look good. You're cramming 20 pounds of great stuff in a five pound bag and it just bursts and splatters all over the floor. And as you look down and you see the mess that it created, you can't even figure out what was in the bag to begin with. You got all that talent in the ring, AJ, Frankie, Doug Williams, Kendry. I mean, everybody in that ring deserved to be in that ring. Yeah. And eh. The only thing that I, my only note that I made about this match is that Ric Flair can't sing. No, I knew he, that. He's, he sings at the end when he fires Sabu and yeah, Ric Flair should never be allowed to sing again. I know this sounds too good to be true, but let me tell you, savewithconrad.com can really change your life. And don't just take my word for it. Ask Lawrence in California. He just saved a boatload of cash. How much? More than $200,000. You heard me. $200,000. Lawrence was so thrilled, he gave us a five-star review, and he had this to say. What made our experience great was how Derek provided us with multiple options and communicated with us. Anytime we had questions, he would text or email a response within minutes. We also contacted other lenders, but they were all hell-bent on offering us a 30-year option only. With SaveWithConrad.com, we were able to lock in a lower rate for 20 years, thus setting up to finish paying our house off before we retire. And in the process, we'll save more than $200,000. How much money can you save? Find out right now for free before it's too late. We don't know how long these rates will last, but if you're not careful, your mortgage will last for 30 years. And friends don't let friends, not when rates are this low, keep roughly the same payment or even a cheaper payment but cut years off of your loan? You've got to be kidding me. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com right now. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing limit. Oh, and did I mention we're licensed in more than 40 states and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket? In fact, if you hurry, you can skip your next two payments, which means no payments until next year at SaveWithConrad.com. There's a list of other things you shouldn't be allowed to do too. <laughs> hey, tell me about Sabu here. You and I haven't spent a ton of time uh, talking about him. We have a little bit in sort of the early days of nitro where you tried him out here and there, you know, I know you weren't exactly a big indie guy or a big ECW guy, but he was certainly an innovator. You know, he was like the, the, the king of tape traders for a long time, you know, back before sort of super indies became a thing and the, uh, early to mid nineties, him and Al snow were tearing it up and him moonsaulting and doing the triple jump moonsault and doing stuff with tables. He's really the first guy to, you know, develop that style. And a lot of people have borrowed from it and still use it to this day. But usually when you hear about major influencers in an industry like that, maybe I shouldn't say usually a lot of the times they go on to become these prolific, wealthy, you know, you know, the legend grows and it almost feels like that's not necessarily the case with Sabu. And I know some of that is probably from self-sabotage and poor choices and his struggles with addiction. And, you know, he just didn't want to play the corporate game. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And a lot of people sort of respect that rebel attitude. And you were one of those in your own way, you know, sort of march to the beat of your own drummer. What do you think Sabu's legacy will be? Do you think he'll ever get the credit he really deserves? No. No, because he never, 
not taking anything away. And as you, you know, correctly pointed out, I was never the super indie guy. Um, that was just never my, my interest. Um, not taking anything away from it, but it's just not me. Um, when Sebu did, you know, and Sebu made a huge name for himself in ECW, which, uh, he was a big fish in a small pond, you know, despite the, the legacy and the narrative and the, the posthumous perspective of wrestling fans of, of ECW, it really never was mainstream and, and neither was Sabu as a result. When Sabu did get an opportunity to get himself into the mainstream and onto a major network platform, he, you know, he self-sabotaged and that's what people are going to remember. There'll always be, there'll always be people, you know, I'm sure if Sabu does an autograph signing in Queens, New York at a comic book store, there's always going to be people that are going to show up and going to remember that. But on a larger scale, not so much, but you know, that's, that was the choice that he made. Those are the, and, you know, I respect him for, you know, wanting to do things his own way and not wanting to do things as you put it in a, in a corporate kind of a style. I get that. I really do respect it, but you, you pay for that. It comes with a cost <laughs> and I think it cost him his, what could have been a much greater legacy. Let's talk about the next match. Oh, I guess before we move on, we should mention this EV 2.0 shit. This has already run its course here by this point. This should be the end. Do we agree? Deader, deader than Kelsey's nuts. Nobody cared Is it except for the people involved. They cared. Audience didn't care. Uh, you know, I'm as a guy who's uh, a couple years younger than you, I, I don't, I have to admit, I don't know. Mr. Kelsey. How did you know that his nuts were dead? I read it. Okay. It was reading material when I was in, I think the 10th grade, I went to John H. Linton, uh, intermediate school in Pittsburgh, actually Penn Hills, Pennsylvania. And I had to write a report on John Kelsey and his nuts. Oh, there you go. Uh, well, let's talk about the next match. It's abyss and Pope D'Angelo De Niro, 12 minutes and 49 seconds fans as lumberjacks, but instead of fans, they have Pope's congregation. The uh, idea here is, this is directly from the observer. It was a group of African-Americans he grew up with, including his brother, Kevin. I kind of like the idea here. Uh, we've talked about how we both agree that Pope was a star, had the look, had the charisma, had the rap felt like, Hey, he could do this. And, uh, I don't know if you've seen, but since we've, we've put him over so strong, he's now the NWA television champion. Did you know that Eric? You know why I know that? Because a couple of weeks ago, as I flew into Jacksonville, incog fucking Nido, and in secret, under the dark of night, my plane landed at the Jacksonville International Airport. As I'm coming down the escalator, the first thing I see is this gentleman holding up a little sign with my name on it, obviously my driver. And I had been flying for about seven hours. So I was a little tired. Got up at like 4.30 that morning, flew all day, sat in Dallas for a couple hours, finally made it to the Jacksonville 
looking so forward to laying my head down on the comfortable pillow of the Hyatt Hotel in Jacksonville. And as I'm coming down the escalator and I catch my driver out of the corner of my eye, I see this fine-looking gentleman standing next to him. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, I wonder if I have a bodyguard. I wonder if the driver needs a bodyguard. I wonder what this is all about. Because my eyes were not yet focused. I had my glasses off. Anybody that doesn't know me really well knows that I can't find my way out of a bathroom without my glasses. And my glasses were off because my mask was on. A fucking mask. I put a mask on and I breathe and I can't see anything at all. So I had my glasses off as I'm coming down the escalator and I could barely make out the driver. I did see my name. And as I get down to the bottom of the escalator, this fine young looking gentleman comes up, gives me a big hug. And I went, oh my God, it's Pope. And we gave each other a big brotherly love hug and had a great chat. And I asked Pope, what are you up to? And he told me what he was up to. So, hey, Pope, how are you, brother? Well, here he is with the bis. And Meltzer says the dynamic seemed all screwed up because it was like there were eight or so people all against Abyss, and he was supposed to be the heel. Yeah. Uh, then Bischoff came out and all of Pope's guys attacked him, put the boops to him and threw him in the ring. Abyss, uh, Abyss then hit the black hole slam for the pin and Bischoff then explained he paid them all more money to turn on Pope. And he's laughing about it here. Star and a quarter boy, uh, Eric, you're fucking all over this show. Yeah. Little embarrassed about that, but yep. Let's get to, uh, the next match here. Jeff Jarrett and Samoa Joe. Jeff picks up the win over Samoa Joe in 10 minutes and 30 seconds. He starts with a heel promo and everybody's chanting. You sold out at him. And, uh, Jarrett said, Hey, I'm going to leave. And then Joe shows up and Mike today went off on Jarrett saying for years, he talked about how everyone in the company had to work together and how Jarrett turned his back on everyone who supported him. Uh, I like Jeff Jarrett as a heel character. I think Samoa Joe was one of the best of his era for sure, but this is not great star and a half. We should mention, uh, Joe does the elbow suicida taking out Jarrett and the referee, Brian Hebner in the process, Murphy and Gunner run in Joe does a muscle buster on Gunner. He goes after Murphy and Jarrett uses a nightstick that they brought in on Joe's knee. And then Jarrett goes to choke Joe out using the nightstick while Murphy puts the boots to him. There's a little bit of a, we want angle chant. And eventually Jarrett has Murphy throw Brian Hebner back in the ring. Jarrett puts the sleeper on the now unconscious Joe. And of course, Hebner checks his hand. It goes down three times and Jarrett is your winner. And I guess the story here is it's the ultimate humiliation that Jarrett beat Joe with Joe's own finisher. Is this just too much Gaga? I mean, this doesn't feel like enough Samoa Joe shit for Samoa Joe to show what he can really do, at least for me. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. You know, Samoa Joe was kind of, he was floundering in TNA. Russo absolutely just didn't want anything to do with him. Didn't book for him. Um, didn't, just didn't think highly enough of him to kind of think through ways to get Samoa Joe over. Um, and I think this match was just, uh, you know, I'm not blaming it on Russo, but it, it just not enough thought 
was was given this match. It it could have been so much better. J- Jeff is an amazing talent, you know. In, in, when it comes to execution and psychology, and I've said this a million times before, I had a, you know Jeff and I haven't always you know gotten along. Um, we do now quite a bit. You know, we we've both grown in, in our own ways and in the ways we both needed to grow. Um, and we absolutely get along great now, but not so much at this time. So I, I didn't really interact with Jeff much. I wasn't paying close attention to what he was doing. I wasn't invested, honestly, not proud to say that because I should have been regardless of my personal feelings or lack thereof, but I wasn't. And between me being kind of eh, not so interested or not not being invested and the fact that Russo certainly wasn't when it came to Russo, he wanted he, he excuse me, Russo wanted Samoa Joe gone. Um, I, I think what you got is what you got. And it wasn't very well thought out. It didn't have any build up. You know, although Jeff did a good job. He did a good promo leading into it, by the way. Another confessional promo that I think will probably, if you go back and watch this, that style of promo suited someone like Jeff really well. You know, Jeff wasn't that great on the stick when he was doing the traditional 1980s, you know, mean Gene Oakland standing there with a stick, talking to the camera. Eh, it wasn't necessarily Jeff's strengths. Jeff's strengths were psychology and execution. Jeff could tell, can probably still to this day, tell a story physically in the ring as well as anybody. You know, if physically, he's probably not capable of doing as much as he used to do. But when it comes to psychology, I don't think there's anybody better than Jeff Jarrett in the ring. Um, but I, I just don't think anybody put enough time and thought into this match for, for to benefit anybody, including Joe or, or Jeff. Well, now we're going to talk about our main event. Jeff Hardy, who, uh, once upon a time was the hottest baby face in the WWF is now trying to be a heel here. I don't know why that makes sense, but that's what we're trying. And Matt Morgan is here to challenge for the belt. Of course, Kate Anderson can't be with us. They get plenty of time, uh, especially for Matt Morgan, 1304. It's just not as big as maybe a main event should be. It's definitely the Jeff Hardy show. Jeff Hardy is victorious. Meltzer says thus far, the Hardy turn has been a disaster. All it's done is take whatever minor drawing power he had away, whether he can perform as a heel, which is one thing or get people to boo him, which is something else, unless he can more people, or at least the same amount of people as a heel as he could as a face. So he's got the same number of opponents either way, but he's not drawing. So Meltzer is really critical of it. I got to say the referee is the biggest surprise for me. I kind of forgot that referee Jackson James was actually Garrett Bischoff and there they do the carbon footprint. Morgan hits his big finish and the ref simply stops counting at two and Meltzer would say it looked like a screw up, but was probably storyline and reveal him as Bischoff's son down the line. They didn't make it overt acting like the ref saw Hardy kick with his legs and assume his shoulders were off when they weren't. With Morgan distracted, Hardy hit another twist of fate, but Morgan kicks out, but to no pop. Hardy then does a whisper in the wind and another twist of fate and gets the pin. And the heels have a big post-match confetti celebration as the show goes off the air. Star and a half. 
lot to unpack here. First of all, sell me on why Jeff Hardy should have been a heel. Possibly because he had run his course as a baby face in the minds of a lot of people in TNA. Possibly. And I say possibly because I didn't talk to Jeff about it. Possibly because that's what Jeff wanted to do. You know, Jeff, Jeff Hardy had a very, very good relationship with Dixie. And before anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah infers it gets creepy and all that kind of goofy shit. Let me be the first to say, go fuck yourself. Cause that's not what I'm talking about. Jeff Dixie really, really loved Jeff and, and, and as a person and Jeff had Dixie's ear, nothing that ever happened with Jeff Hardy MTV wasn't supported and endorsed by Dixie. And I'm not saying it was Dixie's decision, or necessarily Jeff's, but I am saying that if this was something that Jeff wanted to do, it was going to get done. I'll, I'll go back to the opening promo of the show. Jeff, Jeff had a lot of crazy idea. I mean, he's a different cat, you know, anything, anybody that knows Jeff or has worked with Jeff understands that he's, he's an eccentric, um, he's a different dude. And I think he had this vision in his head that he wanted to do. And we all worked together to make as much sense out of it as we possibly could. And I'm, I'm not saying that anybody resisted it, by the way, you know, I didn't, I didn't stand up at a production meeting and go, no, there's no way Jeff Hardy should be here. I didn't do that. I, I, I didn't do that either. It's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. How do we make it as good as we can make it? So I don't know whose responsibility it was for Jeff turning heel. I would say with a high degree of confidence, it was Jeff's supported by Dixie. And then everybody else's job was to try to make it work. Fucking referee did an amazing job though. Didn't he? God damn. He did a great job. That's word, right? Given the nature of variations of opinions, the results in the poll on turning point 11, seven really says something. I don't think it was the worst pay-per-view TNA has done, but it's the first time pretty much everyone was in agreement that the show wasn't good. Funny thing is the first hour was quite good. And then it went in the toilet. The match that seemed to have the most interest was team 3d versus motor city machine guns, but that was put on third on an eight match show. Not only did they have the best match, but nobody could follow them. Nobody from that point had heat, nor was any match particularly good. Nobody expected that this show would do bound for glory numbers. But you would sure hope that Bound for Glory elevated to the level of the point that at least it could beat the no surrender numbers. And that doesn't appear to be the case either. The show had issues, most notably not announcing the pay-per-view main event. Well, uh, after 11 PM on the go home show three days before the event. Plus it was a match. Nobody seemed to care about Matt Morgan is big and athletic, but some people get over and some don't. Because someone fits into your preconceived notion and you can explain why he will get over. Sometimes the people aren't thinking the same thing and he doesn't. Some great looking guys never attracted female fans, even though promoters brought them in and marketed them like crazy to that group. Some not so great looking guys drew women fans incredibly well. Some muscle heads with no ability got over some didn't, but the first group did. And that doesn't mean if you bring in a muscle head that he too will get over. Some small guys get over some don't, 
Now you can pretty much guarantee to keep almost anyone from getting over through poor booking, but the best booking in the world won't necessarily get everyone over. Every promotion is taking guys and push them to the top. And they just didn't click at that level. Of course, when it comes to good booking, that has no relevance to a discussion about TNA. So he's pretty critical of the booking and the decision to go with Matt Morgan, uh, Matt Morgan, while a nice guy and in great shape and had a great look, very capable performer for whatever reason, he never really became a quote unquote star with the casual wrestling fan. Do you think in hindsight, a different, a different call would have been better here, Eric, if you had to fantasy book this an armchair quarterback at 10 years later, what could you have done differently? If not Matt Morgan here in the main event. I like Matt a lot. He's a really good guy and a smart man. Um, but here we go. This is the third time in one show that I have to agree with Dave. You know, a lot of people tried to get Matt over, you know, WWE. Didn't he, he spent time in WWE. Didn't yeah. He? Yeah. I'm sure. He did. Didn't get over there. Couldn't get over in, in TNA, no matter how hard we tried and how hard he tried. And by the way, he did try. It wasn't from lack of effort, right? There was just, and this is that magic, you know, this is that, what is that thing? What is that element that allows someone that you just wouldn't on, if you saw them on the street, you wouldn't think they could ever get over motor city machine guns, either one of them, either one of them, but man, you get them out there and not only from a physical point of view. An execution point of view, but their charisma, their magic, they just, there's something there. It's intangible. You know, we call it charisma, which is a broad term. And unfortunately, you know, Davis, Mouse was absolutely right here. Just because a guy is big, you know, and you would think on the surface, holy crap, that guy's big. He's going to be able to be an imposing heel or a powerful baby face or whatever. Man, once the red light goes on, if it doesn't connect, it doesn't connect. And there's nothing you can do. You could put a rocket ship on him and it's still going to crash and burn. And Matt was that guy. So I do, I do agree. It was bad booking. It was, a, it was an effort. It was a good effort but a bad choice. Um, Matt wasn't over as a baby face. How are you going to get a heel over more as a heel? If the heel is going to be a baby face that isn't over. It's just, it's yeah, it didn't work. And here, you know, I'm going to count this as, you know, 3.1 in, in terms of agreeing with Dave, you know, had I been able to book this thing over again or had a voice in, in, rearranging the format, which I did at this point, um, I would have definitely put the retirement match on last. I mean, in retrospect, I mean, nobody knew going into it that that would be a match for anybody. You know, nobody could have followed that match. Right. Nobody could have followed that match. Unfortunately, in 2010, all of our crystal balls were, you know, impounded fritz. somewhere overseas yeah. and we didn't have them to work with. So we didn't know that perhaps, you know, you, one could argue that we should have known that, but we didn't. And, and in retrospect, yeah, I would have put that match on last because it, it was a feel good moment. You know, the way the match ended with Bully and, and, and Devon and the Motor City Machine Guns, that just made everybody feel good. And that's the way you want to end the pay-per-view, 
That's the way you should want to end the pay-per-view. Unless there's a really good reason strategically not to, that's really the way you should end the pay-per-view. And if that match hadn't been on last and all the rest of the matches that we've kind of shit on here to one degree or another would have come on before it, the last thing that anybody would have remembered would be that last match in the final moments of that last match after the bell rang. And I think the general feeling about the pay-per-view overall would have been different than what it was. Well, hopefully the general feeling by now is that you need to join adfreeshows.com. Eric, we've had a blast. Uh, this past week we did the, uh, Hallow's Eve havoc little costume contest and gave away some cool stuff. And then of course the next day, Arn Anderson was live with fans on zoom. Uh, and then just yesterday we had not only Francine, but Medusa, you woke up with Francine, which is Tony Schiavone's boyhood dream. And then you had drinks with Medusa towards the end of the day. But what everybody's been talking about for a few days now is we landed Jim Hurd for his first sit down interview in 19 years. He last spoke to Dave Meltzer in March of 2001, uh, or maybe it was February, 2001, either way on camera, long form, Jim Hurd adfreeshows.com. Were you surprised when I told you that, uh, I found Jim Hurd and got him to agree to do an interview? Well, yeah, I was surprised because I had no indi- indication that you were going to try to do that. So it was a huge surprise. And as you pointed out, you know, we've not heard from Mr. Hurd in almost two decades. So anytime a name that was, you know, let's face it, controversial. Yes. Um, everybody's got their own opinion about Jim Hurd, but he was, you know, he was an important part of WCW's legacy and, at a critical time in WCW's legacy, WCW was a brand new company at that point. So, um, yeah, I was very su- surprised and excited, um, to hear about it. And I, I, it's great get, and you guys are all putting th- so much time and effort into making adfreeshows.com such a great platform. I'm grateful, you know, to be a small part of it because you've got some great talent, you know, as well with, JR and Tony and Jim and Bruce and now the addition of people like Francine and Medusa and exclusive interviews like you're doing and the you know this is the fun silly shit that we do that I have so much fun doing and by the way <laughs> I gave away my AWA jacket the one piece of memorabilia I had left I decided to give away because I was in such a, a, a great mood at the end of the All Hallows Eve Havoc show that. Uh, I'm going to put, I'll post a picture of it tomorrow morning before I send it in the mail and ship it off. But, uh, God, it was fun. It was just so much fun. I laughed so hard. You know, Tony Schiavone is the funniest some bitch on the face of the earth. Yes, he is. He just cracks me up. He's just so funny and he improvs everything. And he's just, I have so much fun doing stuff with you guys. It's, it's great. Well, and we've got new stuff debuting this week. We've got Mailbag Monday with Mike Kyoto. He's going to alternate with Jerry Briscoe. Uh, funny man Taylor Williamson will be joining Gerald. Uh, we're also doing X-Ray with Dr. Tom Pritchard, where you get to watch some of your favorite matches of all time, and he breaks down why they were your favorite matches. We've got the collection series, the new belt series that's going to be coming your way. Uh, we're doing round two of the book club, this time talking about that great new Andre the Giant book. On the road again, you actually get to be a fly on the wall with Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross as they're making towns together. Uh, and don't forget later this week, we've got the debut of Mance planning where our old pal Mance Warner 
tries to explain to our wives what in the world was happening during some of the silly stuff that's happened in wrestling. It's all happening at adfreeshows.com. We, uh, we've got a few more shows ready to announce, and uh, I just can't wait, man, for this schedule to be fully realized. I think we're making ad free shows, not only the place to get your shows that you enjoy on the podcast side early and ad free, but there's so much other added value, not just audio, but video and really interactive experiences. It's the place to be right now. Right, Eric? It is. And I'm anxious. I heard a rumor that we're going to be doing a cooking show. That that's, that's correct. Yes, sir. I'm really looking forward to that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually setting up a makeshift studio in my garage so I can grill out of my garage in the middle of the winter time, um, and, and, and grill up some really cool shit. So I'm, it'll be, it'll be a blast. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to next week too. You and I will be back at it talking about clash of the champions. We'll shift gears out of TNA and we'll get back and double down on some old school WCW from 1993. It's clash of the champions 25, which went down on November 10th. We've got Rick rude and road warrior Hawk. We've got Shockmaster and the equalizer. Ugh. We got Regal <laughs> and Johnny be bad. We've got Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. We got Dustin Rhodes and Paul Orndorff. We've also got the nasty boys working with sting and Davey boy. And then on top it's Ric Flair and Vader. It really is quite the show. I'm excited for us to talk about this one. I went down there in St. Pete and Florida excited to uh, break this one down. Good, bad, and ugly. Go watch it next week in advance of listening to Eric and I, and we'll try to take you back in time to November of 1993 in WCW. He is at E. Bischoff. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Hey, you love the show, right? We'll show off that love with a shirt from ericbischoff.com or get your gimmick at boxagimmicks.com, the official store of 83 Weeks. Posters, hats, tumblers, accessories, and more. Boxagimmicks.com. Okay, stop what you're doing. Listen very, very carefully. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. Oh, she's beautiful, classy. She's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People just can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. And she's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring, and it takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye-flawless, near-colorless, high-quality, round, brilliant-cut diamond, expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista's available. She's ready for love, and she's ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one-carat round brilliant diamond is only $3,198. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus, free shipping, and get this, 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only, or you can go to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista Ready for Love engagement ring. Steven Singer Jewelers. Real jewelry, real experts, 
for your real love. That's I hate Steven Singer. God. Hey, Patrick, if you don't mind, would it be okay if I recorded this conversation? Yeah, no problem. Awesome. I'd love to be able to use our conversation for all of Conrad's podcasts. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Awesome. Okay, so what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? The time just seemed right. Me and my wife just had a baby and we were looking to trim some costs and... It seemed like a good time to pull the trigger and see, at the very least, you know, what we could get from from Conrad to better our, you know, monthly rate and just to save a little bit of money. Was there something specific that he said that really made you want to take that step? Every time on the podcast ads when he said, hey, skip your next two house payments, I'm going, well, that just sounds perfect. I can build up the two months. That that always seemed appealing, and this time it had me sold. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to turn away the chance at saving money. Now, at, through the whole process and everything that you just shared with me, um, was there anything that we could improve, maybe um, do better in the future? I'm, I'll be honest with you. like Just in terms of anything I could you know, say improve, I mean, that one I can't really think of because all the things that I just said were positive. That's the thing that a lot of other companies don't necessarily always have. Um, how much money was Save with Conrad able to save you guys? At the very least, um, it dropped my rate by an entire point, uh, percentage point, and we save about, you know, a little over a hundred dollars or so a month. It's not just right at. If you could tell any of our listeners anything about Save with Conrad or encourage them, what would you tell them? I would say um, take advantage of the ad. It, you know, everything that is said that you hear on those ads is true. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.